Welcome to episode two of Me and Virgil, a Genesis Brothers podcast. I am Dantelander, or a.k.a. Danielle. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then you have to check out episode one again. Uh, and with me, of course, as always, both biologically and, of course, historically by Genesis, is my brother, Alex C. Talander. Welcome, bro. A.k.a. Virgil, apparently. Yeah. yeah, even though I don't like that name. Hi, everyone. Glad to be back again for episode two. Here we go. Talking about what we like about Genesis. Exactly. Welcome to episode two, which is I Know What I Like. For those of you who are checking us out for the very, very first time, actually, uh, we welcome you and we thank you very much for joining us. If you'd like to get a little background of myself and my brother and how we got into Genesis and what we like about them, etc., etc., and how they made an impact on our lives, then we recommend highly to check out our very first episode, From Genesis to Obsession. Mm -hmm. That gives you a little idea of what it's all about. I suppose it's not required, but just recommended. Yeah, totally. You know, it's up to you, really. And for those of you who are rejoining us for this episode, welcome back. And we thank you very much for sticking with us. So, yes, today we will be discussing quite a, well, for me particularly, quite a tough subject. So, episode's called <laughs> I Know What I Like. And we will be going through songs that we like, albums that we like. And I guess eventually we will be going in the opposite direction as well, bringing up maybe the things we Maybe the one song or the one album we're not too fond of, etc. We won't say hate. I don't think we've actually ever hate anything by Genesis. No, but, so no. We're, we're not quite as favorable, with, you know. <laughs> totally. And we figured, because maybe uh, you fine listeners might be wondering about this as well, thinking, well, you guys have been so obsessed with this band for so many decades, then, you know, curious to know what, you know, that, that infamous question, you know, what's your favorite? which album you like the most, et cetera, et cetera. So we figured we'd just do this one next, get this one out of the way, and then we can move on to other various fantastic subjects to do all to do with this band. I will caveat, and you probably, it applies to you, I would think, too, is um, with our favorite stuff, when you've been a fan of a band for so long and a band that's been around so long, your favorites can change over time and decade to decade, I find, and... So even you know, how much older I get or whatever changes, uh, uh, some things on my favorites do change a bit. But I'm pretty pretty confident in what I've picked today. Good. Glad to hear it. I I was going through it. I've been the last couple of weeks, I think, going through it. And I think it's kind of changed for me a little bit as well. Definitely, <laughs> there's two. There's two. Well, for example, with the albums, there's definitely two albums in there that I've, has always been solid for me. But the number mm -hmm. three, the number three, that's been the tricky one. Well, I mean, 
when we get to the album, don't know, don't know which we want to start with first, but when we do get to the albums, I mean, originally we were saying top five albums, and then I think only just yesterday or today, um, Alex, you said, oh, you know, let's make it three. It's just it's easier that it's easier that way, whatever. You know, to me, actually, it makes it more difficult. But we'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll let you know about them when we come to it. Well, my reason as well for switching I was saying was because it felt like if you do top five albums then you're doing a significant chunk of genesis you know <laughs> i mean if you were to take like the most recent five albums i mean you're going into what 25 years of music mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean it's definitely an exciting uh exercise to do because as he, as you just said there's 25 years of material here to choose from so you're saying so you're saying it was three was easier it was harder it was easier for you than doing five no actually three was harder now I would say. Okay, good. That was my point. Yeah, I wanted to make yeah. it harder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and one other thing I want to check first. So when you were working through these and picking them, were you did you re-listen to some of them just to confirm that they were your favorites or was it just more like, oh, I can feel it deep within my bones that these are the right choices? Uh, I Well, with the definitely with the albums regarding that, the, the two, I for me, it's just always been those two just because, mm -hmm. I, I, and naturally as well from the nostalgic perspective, and they've just been around in my life for so long. With album number three, I did listen to <laughs> um, one of them recently. And I thought I was going to be set on that. And then that's, then that's when you suggested, let's make it top three instead of top five. Because this album definitely would have fallen into my top five, actually. So mm -hmm. that, that now yeah. made it more difficult. But I was listening to an album today. I won't say what it was. And <laughs> I hadn't really listened to it in a long time. And as soon as I started, I was like... Damn, this is good. Jeez, this is really good. However, I did go away from it though after concluding it, saying like, "Yeah, but it as amazing as it is, it definitely has just that that general sound in that album, hmm. which to me is great. It's fantastic, but maybe I don't know. It just just in terms of its sound, there's not enough variety in there. So, well, how about when we when we pick our top threes and go over them and stuff? Then we'll do a few runners up that we had that were almost made the cut but didn't quite make it. Good point. Good a good idea. Yeah, let's let's make up the the B side albums. Yeah, the B sides didn't make the cut. <laughs> and your in your archive box set. <laughs> yeah, also true. <laughs> or it's just one really massive record, you know, that's about you know, a couple hundred meters wide. Yeah. Well, why don't we then just kick off with them with the albums as we seem to keep referring to them all right that's what you want to do you get to choose your host today ah right okay all right well i guess also we need to go in these in alder and alder in order um but mm. as i i'm still struggling with my number three so i'm going to go in in so do you want to start do you want to start with number three you want to go number one and then no, two i'm going to start i'm going to start with number one first because number three oh. i see so you want keep... to go best and then lesser ones right yeah yeah but you don't want honest... to build the tension well, okay Honestly, honestly, though, for me, like best and then to like slightly less best, we're talking like maybe, you know, <laughs> 0 0.99999% of, of that difference, you say. So so for me, though, um, and this also will be um, a massive, well, we've, we've already revealed it, though. Uh, this is going to be the same as what our next episode is going to be, which is going to be focusing on a particular album. So if you've listened to the first episode, you know what Dan's about to say. And if you haven't, go listen to the first episode. Yes, exactly. Uh, if you don't, then you just have to wait to the next episode. But meanwhile, I'll reveal it to you right here. So after many years, 
and keep going back and forth towards it. But I think just just because of of what it represents and everything. The my favorite Genesis album of all time is We Can't Dance. reason behind it and i guess like i said it was it's a very nostalgic feeling i mean it was the album that mm -hmm. got me into genesis in the very first place i was there like technically i was also there when invisible touch got released and the the mama album and abacab <laughs> but just barely but i i was i remember vividly like vividly i was very much there and recall seeing the trailer mm -hmm. for the album release etc so and it just has this huge, powerful sound behind it. And of course, um, I'm a musician as well. Those of you who need reminding or need informing, I am a musician. So naturally, I listen to it from that perspective as well. And mm -hmm. it just has variety. It has dynamic. It has a ton of wonderful material, story material, especially behind it. Mm -hmm. And I'm particularly fond of it as well because I feel like Phil, I feel like Phil, he's, he's probably the most, I only just heard this recently, actually from a documentary uh, that I watched, another kind of documentary that somehow emerged onto the internet, how where, how I never, I've never come across before really, but and which will also be a, an episode for, uh, for another time about the amount of material that we, you can still keep watching in terms of documentaries for the Brothers Band. That's the, that's the beauty of being a Genesis fan, that it, the, the band keeps, keeps on giving in ways you don't even know how. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. And... And Phil was commenting that he felt that he was the most proudest of his uh, writing contribution to this album, particularly in mm -hmm. terms of the lyrics. And if you look at the very mm -hmm. first four songs, for example, the lyrics are all written by Phil. And so he did those first four songs. No Son of Mine, Jesus He Knows Me, Driving the Last Spike, and I Can't Dance. And then the, the mm -hmm. remaining two he did was Hold On My Heart and then since I lost you, which are sadly about the loss of right. Eric Clapton's son, because he was very close with Eric yeah. Clapton and very close with his son as well. So if you look at that, the album is tw the album is twelve songs long. That means Phil contributed lyrics to half the songs in the album. <laughs> That's a lot. That is a lot. So does that show your bias then, because you're such a Phil fan, and so since he did half the album, that makes it number one easily. Yeah, but ironically though, I've never really been a lyricist type of person Lyricist. to really pay attention to the lyrics of any music. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I did, I guess, with the Weekend Dance thing, but it never really sunk into me. I mean, it's obvious we know mm -hmm. what the songs are about and everything, but I could spend 20 years listening to a lyric and then suddenly I come on, on, on day one of the 21st year or whatever. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, he's singing about that. Okay. You know, so. <laughs> uh, 
I will talk about it a bit later, but I just recently realized, yeah, really what I know what I like the song is actually about, and it all makes a lot more sense now. But we'll, ah. we'll talk about that towards the end well, of the episode when we talk yeah, about which will be one yeah, of those I songs I like as well. That'll be, that'll be informative for me because I don't really know either. So I, I have a, I have, I presume what it's, I know what it's about, but maybe I don't. Who knows? Yeah. And <laughs> another reason behind this album as well is because I just really love that. Because when they got when they got producer Hugh Padgham in to really and Hugh Padgham he I loved his concept mm-hmm. behind it. He says he really wants to recreate the proper organic sound of the musical instruments, particularly the drums. And he said, "You stand next you stand next to a drum kit. Mm-hmm. And you hear the drummer playing the drum kit. They are freaking loud. You got to get away from it." So from even from yeah. the other cab, right the way through to the Miserable Touch album, the drums are very very loud, and I love that how they kept this on because even though this was their first time getting a new producer since then and the producer Nick Davis, but he still really, and to me mm-hmm. actually in a way he actually almost brought a new kind of mix to the drums. Those those drums sound incredible. Phil's drums mm-hmm. on this album just sounds insane. And you listen to No Son of Mine and just when that first drum kicks in, that snare drum, you really are like shocked. You really are mm-hmm. taken back. And that's the beauty as well with, with this album is that Genesis really certainly do know how to start an album. And that's and that we will have to do an episode on on album openers because I know that album openers. Um, another Genesis podcast I really enjoy a lot, Tabletop Genesis. Um, mm-hmm. Really enjoyed them for the last few years. They're fantastic. Same here. Um, mm-hmm. I've talked about that before too. With just you know how they kick off an album. Yeah, is really special. Yeah, pretty much all their albums. Yeah, and and particularly with those sort of mine, it's just one of those ones yeah. that just it's the perfect album starter and it just really gets you in there mm-hmm. and then there's a beautiful flow in them as well no, i do like they have also talked about on the tabletop podcast and um, tabletop genesis podcast about how it's not exactly a happy song no no <laughs> about a kid leaving home due to bad dad and then having to come back and face his fears and then finding nothing's changed and having to leave again and i like that they would joke about how you know we're all in the crowd singing, no son of mine <laughs> son Son of mine. Yeah, we're like playing the part of the, the, the we're doing the part of the evil role. Yeah, it's we're... not quite you know the same happy vibe as she seems to have that invisible <laughs> touch. <laughs> and this is this is also interesting because like it like it like I was going to say that the the album has a fantastic flow about it, and it takes you up, it takes you down in various many places. Mm-hmm. And I think I recall, I, I believe I recall you saying this, bro, probably when we were still living together. And maybe this was just a fun thing you were doing at the time, but it did make sense mm-hmm. to me. They said, "Okay, well, the album's called We Can Dance." And we're wondering why is a song, why is it called We Can Dance? Now they did just, they did say like with that, well, because you know we're not we're not really as hip as the dance music that's coming out these days. It was ninety one, mm-hmm. you know, this great, in my opinion, you know, dance this great dance music was happening, you know. So, um, 
and but they were totally not in that vibe and so i guess they just wanted to point it out to them as well but with with you you mentioned saying well you know if you think about it you know no sort of mine it's not exactly a song you want to dance to jesus he knows me tv evangelists driving the last spike you know about building english railways and all the deaths that occurred there mm-hmm. i can't dance you know <laughs> says it there himself and all these other songs about dreaming while you sleep tell me why you know dreaming while you sleep about a hit and run tell me you know tell me why about famine the ethiopia famine and hold on my heart is a just a uh, you know, sounds like a sad love song as well. And then since I lost you, mm-hmm. fading light. So it, it it almost feels to me like a like a strange way lyrically a concept album because it's it's like well it's tough to dance when you've mm. got all these issues going on in the world, which of course they've always done so. They've always addressed uh, maybe not so called right. issues, but just right. facts of but life. Mike has and, written his pro, what they call his protest songs like Land of Confusion and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then also Phil. I mean, he's coming off of you know, but seriously, which is a similar topic mm, point of mm. you know a lot of the songs are a bit important things about troubles in the world and problems of the world and totally um he probably just carried it over because nothing really got better you know <laughs> nothing really changed no, in those few no, years sadly and, not, no and uh they still need to talk about this and i remember too well we can talk about it this is more when we do the album and cover it but i remember with tell me why when they released it as a single yeah all the um uh, proceeds from that single went to um, charities and stuff like that to help I did. Uh, uh, famines and stuff like that. Yeah, I did not know that. That's wonderful. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if I want to give everything away in this episode or <laughs> save it for the next episode. Um, but just to say, yes, um, this was actually my favorite album for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 20-odd years or so, but it's only the last uh, probably five to ten years that it's dropped off. Okay. Um, but it was, yeah, the first cassette I owned, the first album yeah. I owned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and having no son of mine as that starter and everything. And with that drum, I mean, I think, honestly, one thing I do still feel attached to is with no son of mine, out of all the Genesis songs, the drumming in that and the drum fills are still the most like fresh and original I've ever heard in any song ever. And it just like everyone hits you. And it just, yep. it's so interesting. Each fill, it's never just the same sort of re- repeated bit or anything like that. You no. know, it's just unique each time. And that really uh, hits me every time I hear it. Yep. And naturally, me being a drummer, I can replicate every single one of those fills uh, after <laughs> listening to it since its release. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, exactly. I, I can too by air drumming. Yes, I've <laughs> yeah. heard it so many times. And also, just uh, with songs like "Driving the Last Bike," mm. I've always found it just to be an incredible song because as a writer, um, I you know I can write narrative style, long form, mm. and books and things like that. But you know, I'm not. I've never really done much poetry. And I don't consider myself, you know, I haven't written songs or anything like that. And so seeing how Phil such, you know, with such beauty and, and skill, you know, crafted this song with his incredible lyrics that digs deep, you know, into the building of the British Railways and, and the toll of that on everyone and the lives lost. Um, he did such an incredible job with it. But we'll talk more about that in the next episode. Mm, no, yeah, I was just going to I was just going to echo that as well, that this was a, a first really for Phil to contribute lyrics to a song of that length, because you would. I think Tony mentioned mm-hmm. this is not, not naturally normally the thing that he would do. Uh, and yet Phil said, you know what, let me have a go. And I think it was Mike even saying like, this is probably Bill's Phil's best lyric he's ever contributed, you see. So mm-hmm. very powerful as well. And he just, all because he got a, had a book about it too. He just thought, let's write about it, you know. So Right, yeah. Well, then the previous last song on the previous album by Tony features lyrics like nylon sheets and blankets. <laughs> Help to minimize the cold. <laughs> yeah, it's like 
bit more, yeah, naturally. But the, they the can't fantasy keep out him, the chilling sounds. The fantasy in him remains there, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm, so, yeah, I mean, obviously I can keep going on about this album for ages. And, and naturally as well, it's a very... And we will in the next episode. It's a very, it's a very, <laughs> yeah, that's also a good point. So maybe we should just leave it off, leave it at there. So, yeah, yeah so you've, like I said, it's still... You piqued everyone's interest to save it for next time. And you've shown that number one for you is We Can't Dance. So, yeah, it's number one for me. From the beginning to the end, probably, huh? You don't think it's ever going to change? I don't. I don't think so. No, no. Mm-hmm. I was going to say one more thing, but I'll leave it for the next episode. Um, okay. So that's me. That's me. That's me. And now we'll move it over to you, Virgil. Sorry, Alex. So yeah. So <laughs> as I said, uh, We Can't Dance was my favorite for a long time, mm-hmm. um, just because I think because it was my first cassette tape I owned and first album of theirs I listened to, um, became very attached to, and just it was. You know, it was great music, and also at the over time, I was more and more nostalgia for it. But then, as I've gotten, I again feel over the last five to ten years of just hearing more and more of Genesis, of of hearing them over and over. I mean, generally because of my um, day job where I'm delivering the post each day, I get to listen to audiobooks and podcasts and music all the time. Mm. And so there's usually once anywhere from one to three times a year, I will just start my Spotify playlist of every Genesis song in order from the mm. beginning and just listen to the whole thing through. Wow. And so I've done that many times in the last few years and things like that. Um, and it's really after hearing and hearing each album in order chronologically that um, I've come to the acceptance. And this is echoed I've heard with other people too. the best album Genesis have ever done. This trick of the tale. I also can't argue with that. <laughs> um, I feel like they knew they needed to make a very powerful, important, big album after the leaving of Peter mm. and the decision of whether they should keep going or if they should take a break or if they should split up or all these different things going on and that they did decide to keep going um, and that it was initially all about the music they had explored for a little bit, whether to become a instrumental band too, and just have it be all instrumental mm. um, as they were trying to hunt for a singer that they couldn't really find nothing that was really working. And so it feels like all the 
focus and emotion all went into this music and these incredible songs that they put together mm -hmm. for the album. Mm -hmm. um, it's also a known fact. I mean, Tony has said he's been involved in every Genesis song ever. Yeah. But particularly on this album, he had a really big stake in it. I think yeah. actually Steve might have been doing working on the solo stuff at this point. Yeah, he um, he, sure. he was actually it... obviously after the whole Lamb and Peter leaving and the Lamb tour, which they mm -hmm. did like what was it, 102 shows or something. So, yeah, I think a well deserved break, both physically and especially mentally for them as well, especially after leaving such mm -hmm. a huge tool in the machine that they kind of did their own things and Phil was off busy with Brand X and Steve was finishing off his solo album. Yep. And actually Mike was doing stuff with Ant, right? And Anthony Phillips, I think, probably with some of that stuff. Well, I want to say, I think they were yeah. all, guess right, because Ant's, Ant's debut album came out in 77, mm -hmm. so I think he was already working with him on that. I think mm -hmm. Phil got involved with that too. Yeah, he did a song or two, yeah. So I think it was Tony who was quoted am i the only one who's writing music for this band now <laughs> it was kind of by himself <laughs> hence why yeah like you look at the, the the credits on the album and every single song is credited to tony whether co-written or by yep. himself which is also it's a first for the band too because they really want to make that mm -hmm. important statement by telling people saying listen it wasn't just all peter it was us too and we're going to prove it let check out who wrote this song and who wrote this song and hence why instead of it always just being credited how it was always credited just all five individual all band members collectively all the band members collectively this time they made the drastic change to say like okay well this person wrote this song i wrote this song that song this song this song so which they kept going right up until yeah the shapes yep. album because that was the first mm -hmm. time for them that they were recording in the farm and they felt like that was the first time they were really starting a new way of writing songwriting which was jamming mm -hmm. basically mm -hmm. so and i wish we could get those jam tapes released just so we well there it. if you do if you remember recalling the is it the second archive genesis archive disc there is the mama yes. the mama jam the mama so. rough cut thing yeah that was a nice one yeah yeah even with the bit i love the bit at the end where where they're still it's still on and then was it phil's telling mike oh, you gotta you press your button to turn off the recording because oh, yeah. he's still recording as he's trying to talk about the song i was like no no keep keep it on i want to hear what you're talking about how you're crafting this song <laughs> Yeah. And then, oh, that's right. And then the end of it, he says, Wish I had some words. words. He's just been mumbling. Oh, yeah. He just went, ah, <laughs> And then there's this classic laugh, too. It really, get, yeah, it really, it really, like, it really creates like a fly on the wall moment, that, that piece, especially. Anyway, going back to Trick of the Tail, though. So, I mean, I was just thinking about that, too, as you were chatting on and chatting, chatting on there. Um, again, this is kind of similar to Weekend Art in some ways, where each song is kind of its own unusual story mm. a little story about mm. something yeah and you can literally see it on the album cover when you look at it the way it was done by um who was the artist hip hip hypno i can't remember the name yes it was hypno wasn't it um let's pause and look it up let's yeah pause, look hypno, it up. hypno hypnosis okay hypnosis hypnosis yeah because yeah. he also did some uh pink floyd stuff yes hypnosis Yes. Um, so yeah, so the album cover is done by Hypnosis and just you literally see all the characters that play a part in the song mm -hmm. um, featured on there, you know. Um, so it gives you an idea of, I mean, it's definitely one of my, I think, favorite albums. And I really feel like, I don't know if it's because of the album cover, but every song feels a little bit yellow. I mean, you've got Dots in a Volcano with Lava and stuff. And um, I don't know, just every time it all just feels a little bit yellow to me. Um, and then you've got... Um, Entangled, which is an unusual story about a nurse and sickness and stuff like that, and beautiful 12 strings from 
Steve. And then um, squonk about a weird mythological creature <laughs> that will dissolve into a pool of tears if you mm -hmm. don't treat it right. <laughs> uh, Mad Mad Moon, which is a crazy story and traveling across the desert and things, you know, a robbery, assault, and battery. Yeah. Uh, one of Phil's fun characters he put on to do that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little, little echo back to almost like his artful Dodger days, you know. It's got to bring on that, mm -hmm, that London, mm -hmm. London Cockney accent, bundles yep. of fivers and things like that. Yeah. And then you've got... Um, Hell in my mind, now it's gone. Ripples. Huh? Ripples, of course. Ripples, which is was showed up in 2007 in a beautiful mm. version. That was a very goose goosebump moment, that was. Moving song about getting old and changing. Yep. And then you have the uh, eponymous name. Ah, similar again, where you have I Can't Dance and We Can't Dance, and you have True. Trick of the Tail as a track on the album, too. True, which, strangely enough, was never done live. You would think, like, the actual title track was done live. No. However, there is a fantastic video, if you want to look it up, on YouTube. Oh, yeah. What the best. the band is playing, and, and Mike uh, Tony's on the piano, and Phil is about two inches tall, and he always regrets that great yep. about it. Yep. <laughs> and he's already small enough, and now and, they made him even smaller in this video. And Steve's got this claw, wearing this claw-like claw yes, hand as a glove, right. playing over his fret. And this this will definitely naturally fall into another episode that we can do about the videos. Mm -hmm. We'll do that, and we'll definitely do, another, I think, an episode on this album, too, and going into deep dive into each track. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, of course, it ends with Los Endos, which yeah. is actually, even though Tony wasn't heavily involved in it, I mean, Phil kind of worked on arranging it and putting it all together, and it definitely has that feel to it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was pretty much his baby, yeah. Yep. He, he kind of just kind of like was singing singing the parts. Yeah, I, I found it. If you listen to when they did this album live, so this was first, this was Phil's very first tour as the lead man. Mm -hmm. and they're playing in the Hammersmith Apollo in London. There's a bootleg of it as well on YouTube. A really fantastic quality. Dan, so haven't you performed there? Um, no, I haven't actually. No, no, no. That oh. was that was the Hammersmith Palais. Yeah. Close oh, by. sorry. Okay. I just heard Hammersmith. So. Close by, <laughs> close by, yeah. No, but we did go see friends of ours perform there. That's why. So in the Australian Pink Floyd. So, oh, that's right. It was yeah. Aussie Pink Floyd. that they, They've there. played yes. there numerous times. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And You were there. <laughs> so technically it was in the crowd, yeah. But I loved how when that was the tour, of course, when Phil was, even though very out, outgoing, very stage experienced, West End experienced mm -hmm. fella, Phil was being the front man he's i guess for some reason there was the discussion the, the decision about to not only have him introduce the songs but other members of the band introduce the songs too yes that's so right. yeah, steve yeah. and mike and surprisingly tony did not i think mike but, well steve talked about entangled and mike well, did one of them too i heard what it was yeah this was the point i was going to get to with entangled mm -hmm. that um so i don't know if you've heard this but it, so steve is uh saying next number is about a recurrent nightmare which becomes so bad that the man has to seek psychiatric help. And then I think some random bloke from the crowd screams out, Boy! And then Steve says, Because he's suffering from insomnia, that's why, you idiot. Anyway. 
I was like, God, Steve, you can't call your audience member an idiot. The bootleg's probably on YouTube, isn't it? Oh, well, that's where I found it. Okay, so I'm going to link it. Be sure to link it in the show notes and then people can find it. Yeah. And to do the time signature. Yeah. We'll definitely link it. I think it was one of those ones where it was recorded right from the desk as well, you see. So you really hear, mm-hmm. like, you've got, like, Bill Bruford's drums, Everyone. like, really in your face as well. You can actually even mm-hmm. hear him screaming because he didn't have a microphone, obviously, but you can actually hear him counting off Squonk as well at the end of Entangled. Well, like at the end of, um, well, it's actually the fourth side live of three side live when you have it and Watcher of the Skies. And right at the end of Watcher of the Skies, at the, just about to do the big finish, there's this cool sound of someone going. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And for years, I've wondered who that was. And I've always thought <laughs> yeah. it was Phil. And apparently it's some ba- uh, some audience member. It's like, wow. I, yeah, that I, I presume it was Phil as well. But then you thought, well, how close <laughs> is that guy to the microphones then on the stage yeah. or something? Because he must be like right up there to the front. And he must have just mm-hmm. been... I mean, to be honest, though, when you listen to that performance, I mean, I was going, that performance is just insane. So, And that yeah. was the, the the final encore for the tour as well, that Trick of the Tail tour. So, yeah, but yeah, Trick of the Tail was definitely one of my... in my top ones as well. And, and especially thinking it as a whole comprehensive album mm-hmm. compared to all the albums as a whole piece, not just like all oh, these have really good songs on this one, there's good songs on this one. As a whole album, Trick of the Tail does it for me. All right, let's move on, because otherwise we're going to be a five-hour podcast. <laughs> What's your second pick? Um, right. Well, I guess Trick of the Tail was very, very close. It was very, very close, mm. actually. In fact, oh, drag, am I actually going to Is call he going to change it right here, right now, folks? Am I going to change it right now? Am I going to change it right now? A live edit? Maybe I am. Am I going to do a live edit right now with being oh. Trick of the Tail? Because... It does. I sold you. It, I mean, the album. Sold you on it. Did that? The album does include, um, my favorite Genesis song on it too. So there's a little, little silent mm. spoiler coming up. Well, there. It's mine too. Ah, uh, yeah. So I guess it just maybe makes, it's the same one. You never know. I guess it just makes sense that maybe that is that's because I suppose if you break it down, every single song is like, right, do you really, really love every yep. single song? And I, I say to myself, yes, I do. With this other album yep. that I was going to put in a number two position, I'm like, do you really, really mm-hmm. love every single song on the album? It's like, well, that song, I wouldn't wake up sweating if I didn't hear it first thing in the morning. So <laughs> I guess I'm going to make a that's like That's what be my critique of uh, We Can't Dance is that uh, I have one or two songs I'm not I'm a little less fond of, put it that way. Okay. Again, as a whole comprehensive album. Okay. Whereas Trick of the Tail does it for me every time. Yeah. Then you know what? I'm, I think I'm going to make Trick of the Tail number two. Yeah. Also, what uh, what helped was there's this, um, which we'll, we'll link at this too. There was some, uh, he's a guitarist who does YouTube videos of how songs are put together and stuff and how you play them and things like that. Uh-huh. And he did one on Dance on a Volcano and mm. was just like, he was blown away by how complicated of a song it is with all these mm-hmm. different time signatures and things going on. And watching that, you realize just like, it's like a, you know, complex opera or symphony or something with so much going on that like, how do these guys just do it together? But when they got together, they made incredible music is what the answer is. The disc, this guitarist, oh, uh, there's a guy called Rick Beato. His name just came to me now. I think that's what it might be. I think it might be him. Yeah, he's silver-haired. He's he's actually yeah. a um, a very 
long trained long trained musician, long time trained musician. That's what I thought. And yeah, and, everything. But just, and he did a whole thing and on yeah, dance on the did, volcano. Yeah, he did the whole dance on the volcano. Have to, we'll have to find it and link it in there. Yeah. I mean, when it gets the thing is, though, me being a drummer, you would think like, okay, well, I love my time signatures, especially with this band and everything. It's like, well, mm-hmm. actually, no. I grew up listening to this music when I was like, you know, twelve. I didn't know anything about time mm-hmm. time signatures to back appreciate then. Appreciate it. Yeah. I just listened. I mean, with Firth of Fifth, I, I happily was was drumming to Firth of Fifth when I was like twelve, but only because I was listening to the melody. I wasn't thinking yeah. like, well, it's this in this time signature, and it's the same with Dance on the yeah. Volcano as well. When he explained, saying like, mm-hmm. well, there's like three different time signatures just in the intro, and I was like, I didn't know that. I'm just yep. listening to the melody. And I still do that to this day. I mean, it's almost like I was just thinking it's like it's like reading a book when you're younger. You just you might just appreciate the story for what it is. But mm. as you're older and live through life and things, you can pick up more with the characters and what's going on with True. the story and subplots and things that you wouldn't have been able to do as a younger listener. True. Um, but yeah, things like that with Dance on a Volcano and the other songs, too. Just that's what makes this the number one for me. And apparently the number two for you now, huh? Apparently it is number two for me now. Yes. Yes, it is. So there you go. Right. There you go. Shall I move on to my number two then, since we know you're number two? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unless there's anything else you want to say about the album? Uh, there's so much we could also say about the album. Well, I mean, obviously it was there. Uh, I mean, definitely a good choice of an album to have after mm-hmm. the crazy world that was The Lamb, you know, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Going from a concept album consisting of, I don't know how many songs, like, what is that, like 22 songs on that album or something like that, I think it yeah. is, well, to yeah. then just simply eight songs on an album and that's probably why it one of the reasons why it also did so well though to make a point like the lamb where they got together and recorded all the music while peter was dealing with certain things Mm -hmm. like um a very pregnant wife who was having issues with the birth and Mm -hmm. things like that and then possibly co-writing a um was it the soundtrack or something to a movie with the Exorcist? The Exorcist uh, oh, director no, or something he, like that, he, and all he, these different things. No, he was he was hired by William Friedkin as a person yeah. to bring ideas, and the sound oh, okay, the sound yeah. check right. was going to be by someone else. I've forgotten the name of the band now. So he was a person going to bring ideas. So yeah, that was a funny. Oh thing. wait, it was. Uh, I just remember hearing this on um, the I Know What I Like Genesis podcast. It was Tangerine Dream. I Tangerine believe, Dream. I yes. Yeah. And he, who, who, who I like their music too. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and he, that's right. And he said like, well, I want to do this. And then because obviously Peter's been so, he's been very passionate about film. He studied that. He's he, he mm-hmm. was going to go into it as well. I think before Genesis, yeah, he was going to go into film school. I believe so. But but he and then it was like, well, no, you either do that or do this. And then Peter just said, okay, I'll do that instead. Then <laughs> left the band. Yeah. Well, but that's while he was doing all that, the band was together writing the music of yeah. the Lamb. And again, like. With the lamb, the trick of the tale was a similar thing where mm. they had, didn't know if they were going to have a singer or who was going to sing it or what, and so they wrote all this incredible music. True, that was the album, and then well, they eventually decided, well, let's have Phil record a few tracks just to get a feel, get a feel for what it feels like. Get a feel for it. <laughs> um, but and then realized, wait, maybe you should just do the job. That's true, actually. I never really thought about it before. Even though they say, they apparently they said, they keep always have said, oh, but we didn't really think Phil was going to be the one to do it. We, we were going to no. find a singer and do all this stuff. And well, I don't believe that. I think that's bullshit. Oh, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I don't think they knew from the beginning, but once it moved a little bit along and Phil sung a few, I mean, because you knew what he was singing, how he could sing on other songs and stuff mm. and just, yeah. I think it was obvious that he would be the perfect fit. But apparently Tony wasn't too sure still, you know. 
If he, if Phil, if Phil <laughs> could take it on full time. When is Tony ever sure unless it's about something about himself? Yeah, if Phil, if Phil could do it like full time, you know, because obviously you got Peter's I mean, voice yeah, and Phil's. Talk about voice. the guy who was known for for storming out when he was having an argument with Peter, <laughs> while Phil's uh, sitting there saying, "What happened? Yep. What am I doing?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, shall I move on to the second one? Yes, please enlighten us with your second one. So my second favorite album of Genesis is. Okay, sorry for laughing there. There's a reason why I'm laughing, and I'll tell you in a second. Another almost, almost perfect mm-hmm. album. Yeah, it is. It Maybe is. That a lot of these, again, we're kind of looking at, we're telling stories and things like that. They almost feel like concept albums, and this one definitely had the story of Duke and Duchess and all that going on. Yep. You've got the Massive. incredible banger of Behind the Lines, which they kicked off their last couple tours with as well, and mm. just ending with Duke's Travels and Duke's End, which is just a... <laughs> piece of incredible yes music that feels like a classical symphony again <laughs> and then uh, a number of songs in there in between that are just great i still would have kind of liked if they had put it as a the duke suite and then added on the other tracks right right yeah yeah which they, they did it live which they did it live they did it live yeah good good no another good choice i mean it, it and they really helped with them because at the time with with the previous album and then there were three it was very mm-hmm. that world was very very new to them it's like right we've, we've lost the yeah. lead, we've lost the lead guitarist but you know that's okay we'll just carry on now and mike's gonna take over everything or in that department right and but he's f- got to learn how to be a lead guitarist yeah kind of, yeah you know, how to fill the, fill the role yeah. phil and of course phil at that time he was he was going through hell with his marriage and yeah. everything it was all right there and then mm-hmm. and everything happening and then of course with the album duke then you know Phil was in a different place then with with in his on his in his relationship status and Mike yeah. and Tony had already done their solo albums so it just felt like yeah. there was a new there was a new lease of life for them to begin with and, and it is definitely a bit of a transitional album as well just for everything they were going through but also it's yeah 79 going into the 80s and moving into a new decade and stuff mm, that's another big thing just yeah. uh, just at that point yeah and i mean with with the trigger the tail album apparently dance of the volcano was the first piece they written they wrote for that album mm-hmm. so and i don't know if this is true or not but i wouldn't have been surprised if if it was the same case with behind the lines for this album mm-hmm. 
that that was like I think that was the first proper time they really jammed something out. You know, I mean, you could hear that in a jam session and just yeah, be like, massively. "Okay, this is good. Just keep doing this. Keep pushing it." Yeah. And I love the way they use themes again throughout the album with from it and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah, so it's definitely, definitely, so, definitely a concept yeah. feel of this album. Ab totally, hundred percent. That's my number two. So, uh, what's your number three? Duke. Can I guess? Duke. <laughs> is it Duke? <laughs> Figured. Now Duke was going to be number two for me. It was going to be number Ooh. two. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm still wondering about it now, actually. Now only because, again, my oldest, my my, my first memory of listening to Duke was um, in our parents' car. Now, mm -hmm. back in the day, um, I think how probably how I got into the music in the first place was when it was time for us to have our dentist appointment in Spain. Instead of just popping down to the nearest dentistry, whatever, for some reason we would drive all the way to Gibraltar, which was at that at back there and then was like two hours away or something. I don't know how long, far away it was. When we get to, it's not, it wasn't that bad, I don't think, but yeah, it was a long drive. And, a long and when we get our mother on here to to steer us straight on the our origin of our love for Genesis, we can ask her about this too. About why we were going to a dentist that lived bloody miles away. Yeah, I don't know whether it was because, well, because obviously we went to Gibraltar, so it was an English dentist and everything. So we would go to the dentist, that's done. And then we always then went to this music shop afterwards and that sold mm -hmm. all these albums. And I went there so often that I just, whenever I would go in there, I just beeline, beelined my way straight to the, to the front till there because right at the left of the front till was a huge, not huge, but like a tower of cassettes and right in the midst of mm -hmm. that was a bunch of Genesis, Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins cassettes. And every time wow, we so went... you have a, you have that picture still in your head. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. What it looked it like was so vivid. And I, and I bought all these albums, you see, and Duke probably was maybe one of the first that I bought from there. And listening back to that, mm. I just still have the memory where listening to stuff like Behind the Lines and especially things like mm. Duchess and mm -hmm. and uh, heat 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 haze and yeah. cool the sack things like this i remember just vividly listening to that with my little like sony walkman whatever it was mm -hmm. going in because well, we had the, the long home. drive to there and going back so the advantage of that was we got to listen on our yeah. tape walkmans yeah there and back and just listen to music the whole time which our mother appreciated because we were quiet. Yeah, because we were quiet. <laughs> well, yeah. At the same time, I don't know why I had this connection, but at the same time, I had a Game Boy, and that I think the recent game I got for the Game Boy was Hook. Mm -hmm. After the movie Hook, <laughs> and I think there was some music in that game that reminded me a little bit as well of the Duke album for some reason. I don't know why. Mm. So I, I kind of blended those lot together. So whenever I think of that memory, that memory blends into that one. So yeah. So. And so apart from that, the album is just in all shapes and sizes and forms and perspectives. Freaking awesome. The album is just yep. unbelievable from a musician status, from a Genesis state. I mean, you, you can't yep. be a, Gen a Genesis fan and not really have, be fond of this album. You know, I mean, first of all, it's got Turn It On Again. So even fans who are not diehard yep. fans, they will know of this song. Yeah. And 
it just has so many powerful moments to it and this overall moments. sound yep. as well which is insanely loud and huge and the drums are really loud on this too this was the album yep. right before mm-hmm. Hugh Padgham came on they still had Dave Henshaw at this mm-hmm. point but the drums are really loud everything's really loud on this so and I think they they still recorded it in the same studio that they recorded and then there were three on which if I'm correct is in Sweden I believe or Holland maybe. okay because I thought because I thought they were moved to Vancouver for and then there were three when Phil moved over there I don't know if they recorded there or not no he he just went over there to try and fix his marriage but that didn't work and it, so spoiler back. alert it didn't work it's it like, led to face value so it was okay yeah yeah <laughs> it was okay yeah so that, that's why that's in my definitely which has behind the lines on it too true True, yeah. And this was the first time with Duke um, that there was going to be the, as Phil put it, the, uh, well, live, live, when he had obviously Daryl and Chester with him, he says, oh, we got a sixth member on stage. And we've got... Roland, the bisexual drum machine! <laughs> so right. they would introduce, yeah, the, um, yeah, the first time they would actually include a drum machine uh, within the lineup mm-hmm. as well. And you, then you create... And this, this is also what um, a number of... Uh... Critics, I suppose, of Genesis have said earlier this was their last true prog rock album, mm. which I totally disagree with. But I guess as a whole, totally yes. But yeah, yeah, I, 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 I get what they mean people. with that in terms of these long yeah. passages, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But mm-hmm. you know, it's it's arguable. But I can I kind of get their point. Yeah. I get I get their point with that. Yeah. Okay, but, so well, I guess you don't have a number three then, because I picked them all for you. So <laughs> I'll go with my number three. <laughs> Which is Foxtrot. Again, listing that wouldn't have been the case. I feel earlier in my earlier Genesis 
you know, fandom career, mm. um, but more the later ones and listening over and over to the early Genesis stuff. Um, this one, uh, and def- again, I would point out um, the I Know What I Like podcast again, the guys when they covered this album really talked about how the five of them really seemed to like lock in with this album. Yeah. Um, you can say with the previous ones, they were still kind of finding their footing a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you might say selling England mm-hmm. is a little bit too commercial possibly or a little you know something else whereas this one they really just locked in together and made every song count and be really good mm. and of course it ends with supper's ready yeah um again i feel with my three choices here the balance of the album as a whole mm-hmm. not looking just at individual songs again but looking as a whole package um foxtrot is a really good album it is a very good album, yes. It's a very, and <laughs> in, in, in terms of its production as well, compared to Nursery Crime, it feels more, yeah, more, it feels bigger, you know, in a way. Yeah. It's definitely mm-hmm. a different different mm-hmm. sound compared to Nursery Crime. And it doesn't kick off with drums, say, like the other two, but those opening chords of oh. Watcher of the Sky on the Mellotron are just like, it, like, I guess, like those set of mine, like, um, yeah, um, like, what am I thinking of now? Blanking on the song. Hang on a second. <laughs> Having a moment. Getting old, you know. <laughs> like behind the lines, it's a whole like you have this wave of emotion and start yeah. feelings and and thoughts come over you when you hear those opening chords. Yeah. Me. yeah. Um. And, and Watch of Skies has always felt like early seventies London in the rain for me. <laughs> um. And dark. And I also, because I think I've listened to it quite a bit when I was reading um, James Herbert's The Rats, which about these mutated rats that become giant rats and take yep. over the city and kill people and stuff. But just the whole feel of it, it all just feels very English and London and mm. dark and mm. wet to me. Mm. Um, and plus they let Tony have, you know, what has he got like the first three minutes of just him playing around on the Metatron before they say, all right, should we start the song now together? Yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing this was the first time them using the Mellotron, right? Because it, it's not on Nursery Crime at all, is it? Mellotron. Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. So they just got it from King Crimson. Which led to very many highs, and I know a number of lows when they were parting that Mellotron around and whether it would work or not. Then just <laughs> it was a, fiddling it, about with it. It was a beast, yeah, but totally worth it as well. Because mm-hmm. it just comes this incredible sound, which they just would keep using until apparently, and then there were three. I think it was Many Too Many, which mm. was the last time they were using the Mellotron. But yeah, and then, you know, timetable, cam utility in the coastliners, horizons. I mean, just so many powerful songs. Well, I like how I like going back to the I Know What I Like podcast. They actually said, like, oh, to, to them, it feels like this is the sci-fi album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good point. And I'm a huge sci-fi fan, so maybe that's got something to do with it. Yeah, They're, that most likely does. Yeah. And if you, you are interested, yeah, be sure to check out their episode on this because they actually reorganize the album, one of them does at the end, by chronologically. Yeah. Because <laughs> certainly The Watcher of the Skies is in the future and yeah. then Timetable is like medieval and stuff. It's kind of fun how they That was really cool, yeah. that. I really liked that, actually. Out. Yeah, that was quite a cool, mm-hmm. like, cool, cool concept they did. All right. Well, yeah, this was, this was kind of going to bring me to my next point that obviously now we've reached the end of our top threes. <laughs> so obviously you've noticed in my top threes that... Peter is nowhere in sight. So I know. Yeah. I hope Peter's not listening. Otherwise, he's going to be unhappy. Well, this is why when you said, oh, top five albums, I thought, oh, that's good. Then I'll definitely have enough space there for Peter, mm-hmm. you see. Mm-hmm. So if, there, if it was going to be 
a top five, then I think for number four for me, it would have been Trespass. Because mm-hmm. 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 that to me, it's almost like a, an album to go traveling with or something. Mm-hmm. Totally, completely. Yeah, just, I totally see that on the train or whatever. Yeah. It just feels like you just, you open the door, mm-hmm. you're about to take on this journey. There's the part, and you're taking there's on the journey. part in front of you. Yep. It's almost like your Bilbo Baggins. And then you just hear Peter's voice looking, looking for someone. For someone. And you go off to this white mountain. And you see some visions of angels, you know. And you undergo a stagnation. <laughs> and you see the sky at dusk. And you're stuck in this yeah. quagmire. But then watch out, because at the end, <laughs> someone's going to yeah. stab you. <laughs> a great big war breaks out or whatever. So that, that to me, and, it, and it's always just, uh, and again, mm-hmm. probably one of the first albums as well, probably next to Duke that I bought at this this uh, mm-hmm. shop in Gibraltar as well. So I was listening to that. And but the funny thing is at the time, though, I still thought before knowing the full lineup properly or and the history and the timeline, I thought it was actually Phil Collins on the drums as well, you see. Because mm-hmm. my knowledge of drums back then wasn't so much. I wasn't really playing yet. I don't think so. So, of course, then when I heard that, and then I heard him play, like, for example, The Knife live on the Genesis live yeah. record, I thought, wow, mm-hmm. he's really changing things up here, Phil. He's gotten much better. <laughs> Completely on the way it was John Mayhew on the album, you know. Yeah. So, which I, it's, I mean, I feel bad for the guy to be the drummer before a person like Phil Collins steps into the band. Yeah. It's it's always going to be a hard act to follow after that. Someone has to be, right? And yeah. You know, you read the stories and everything and I was reading about it actually in the um in the book chapter and verse just yesterday about John May who mm-hmm. had to be shown when he was shown parts by Peter and Anthony Phillips that when John was shown something new, he would have to then really learn it. You know, even though he could play, he was experienced yeah. and everything, but... When they were having to tell him how to do stuff, I think, what the, yeah. even they wanted, like, do the yeah. fill this way. Yeah, and I think it was Peter who said, like, he was like he was really enjoying that he had to kind of, like, keep bringing his knowledge of drums out. And then, of course, when Phil came, it was yeah. like, right, I don't need to do that anymore. Then he felt kind of like, oh, okay, So I can focus then. on the singing and the songwriting. <laughs> I will say, though, like, as cheesy as you could think of, like, like um, Stagnation, where it's got the... Like, it mm-hmm. sounds cheesy, but it really worked for the song I found, and I've grown to love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you check out what he does on that, then you check out what Phil does in the archive. Um, again, <laughs> very, very different. Yeah, he, he really just... John Mayhew just really blended in with the music and just did... The yeah. parts that were that worked, that was it. There was no, okay. there was yeah. that, that was it. And for what it was, I think he did a, I think he did a, a, a fantastic job. And I really, I do like, I do like a, a lot of the drumming in that album too. And that says something for you to pick that as a, as a fourth one of, of a, you know, out of all the discography. And even though it has this drummer who's not as good, but you still respect what he did. And as a whole, the music and the album and everything does something special. Yeah, it makes a statement for Genesis. It's this. It just has this. Especially when you hear when you hear something with my White Mountain, it really helps paint the picture for mm-hmm. you. 
disregarding what the album cover looks like when I mean, you look at the album cover you look at the distance there there actually is a white mountain there. Yeah. with that you you're instantly transported there and even the same with looking for someone you really feel like you're on this journey which they actually did live in 77 78 for the seconds out stuff uh it was white mountain wasn't it white mountain yeah no they did uh they did they did that for the trick of the tail tour yeah well if i meant trick of the tail yeah. tour, which was crazy like of all the songs you would have picked possibly from that i wasn't surprised with that one i was very surprised with that one as well yeah i mean very different i think it's and in here feels like it it's in a slightly higher key as well for phil which is very bizarre mm-hmm. The, there's not well, much well it's early days you know when he likes yeah, to keep pushing his when he, as Phil said his 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 testicular region was much higher up than you <laughs> his, know <laughs> they were up there up his jeans <laughs> but um and there's the drums is very different as well there's hardly any drums in there there's Bill just mm-hmm. doing this percussive yeah, thing quiet, really you yeah. know but it's very powerful and the way they do the whole like harmonizing fire bit at the end too is very cool even though it's very cool the same band almost again yeah yeah no anyway so that's your runner-up i guess my runner-up is a pretty easy one then i'd go with we can't dance okay cool which we've already talked about we already talked about yeah well if you were going to have a number five then um this was a tough one because I kind of really think about mm-hmm. getting a ideally another Peter album in there, you know. So maybe I was mm-hmm. maybe I was looking at it from that kind of point of view, thinking yeah. like, well, come on, be fair on Peter, please, you know. Even though he's only got five albums under the belt, where Phil's got well, not that many more, I suppose, but a few, quite a lot more. So, but yeah. I would then say, and I can't help but maybe just thinking because of just the classic tracks that are on this album, but probably would for me. But in terms of the feel and the vibe and just the Englishness about it is probably Selling England by The Pound. Mm. I was kind of wondering if it was going to be maybe mm-hmm. Nursery Crime because that just has this beautiful just English yeah. vibe about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Selling England, I think just because just it's it's just so, has such power. And it. Mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's a very well produced album. And it feels like the guys have got it. You know, they just really got it at this point that they knew exactly what they were doing even though strangely enough yeah. i think they were kind of stuck for material at that point i think they were struggling to actually yeah. find material which i i didn't know about until recently mm-hmm. but then you think about the stuff that's on the album with uh i was about yep. to say dance i was about to say dance on the volcano wrong song beginning with dance <laughs> dancing with Dancing. The mood at night. <laughs> and then of course the classic no one like sunday night got for the fifth which is probably tony's tony's finest masterpiece and and i do like i i i find more for me quite appealing i really like that one as well it's kind of like for absent friends part two in a way Epping Forest, that's arguable. <laughs> it's something. my steeple, I visited people, for this I'd gone when I met little John. His name came, I understood when the judge said, You are a robbing hood. It was trying to do something and it didn't quite make it for me. It got close, but not quite. Yeah. And then after the old deal is a very sweet track. You've got the classic cinema show and show. 
ending with Isle of Plenty, which is a bit of a strange track. I say, I suppose, my, from my point of view, I'd say is that um, Foxtrot feels like the band came together and put all, all those songs together mm. as a band, mm. whereas it feels like in with Selling England, um, it feels a little more like some of them wrote their own kind of songs yep. and then yep. they came together and performed the songs and put the songs together. Mm. So it's still a very strong album, but it doesn't feel as cohesive as a band that put the songs together. Yeah. Which, again, I feel... Trigger the Tail does that and do. True, true. Which you could make, again, similar statements. I just realized in saying this too, that you've got, you know, Trigger the Tail when Peter's gone and then you've got Duke, which is an album after with mm -hmm. true. Steve gone and stuff. And just like, that's when they're starting to lock in and really feel it. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe I'm going to make a live decision again because you want you want an album that you just love every single track, you know? And I think about it, it's like, well, I have, yeah. I have plenty. Don't really know what's going on there, to be honest. <laughs> well, uh, we can do that when we cover that episode of that album. But I mean, it's yeah. to do a lot with the politics because, in England at the time and costs yeah, and true. items and different things. Because like I that. do, I am very, very fond That's of Nursery Crime as well. Because obviously, we all know it's the debut album for both Phil and Steve. But I do, yeah. do, do love every single track on that album as well. So I don't know. It's so hard because all their music is bloody good. You know, yes, you can't exactly. it. They're all good. Exactly. Um, yes. So my my number five runner up then will be. Uh, Wind and Wuthering. Wow, nice. Which we haven't talked much about because it's got so many good songs on. Yeah. I mean, I think Afterglow yeah. it didn't make it into my top five, but it's up there in the top ten, definitely. Yeah, it's so hard. Well, again, yeah. But, and I was going to say also, I feel like Selling England definitely rises and falls mm -hmm. and rises and falls mm -hmm. over the years as mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. listen to it. All right, so we, should we move over to our top five Genesis songs? Oh, God, yeah. Well, how about now we, we're going reverse. We're going reverse order Fifth, now. fourth, third, second. Okay, so we're going to go reverse order. Yes. Um, why don't I start at changing up, huh? yes. shall we? Yeah. Yes, yes. So we'll just bounce off of each other. Okay, yep. number five for me is... Looking for someone. Oh, nice one. That is a good one. It's funny because it's the first, you know, uh, song on Trespass, their first big album. Well, big, big as a as the, in the music of the band, not necessarily, mm -hmm. necessarily in the record sales. But Philip sums up Genesis in so many ways mm -hmm. of just like how he sings in it, the music, the way it changes all the time. Yep, got a number of cool solos in there from Tony. I mean, it's got everything I want in a Genesis song. Right, what's number five for you? This was a tough one. It was between between Mama. Oh. <laughs> and no son of mine. But I listened to No Son of Mine. Some of the lines low down there. Yeah, mm. I, I listened, <laughs> but No Son of Mine listened to it again recently, and it's like, no, nah, that that beats Mama. That does beat Mama. Yep, I would agree with you with that. It would up edge it up because yeah. dynamically of how it starts from very just almost practically nothing, just as from a, a tick. As a complete song and everything yeah. and moves and yeah. everything. Yeah. So, 
and it's just it's just one of those songs that just genesis just they just really got they really got right so yeah this again is very much a list that ask me next week this yeah, will be reordered yes <laughs> same or, okay or it'd be totally different number four for me is fading lights love that song so much uh, it's definitely one of the best even though it was done later on in their careers it's just got everything see tony put his heart and soul into it i actually think it's tony's best written song lyrically too mm, it's very powerful and the, very, the, the emotion and everything to it he really gets it that he may not have quite got very that. potent of course especially when you know what's going to happen post that album as well with film and everything <laughs> yes that too that's that's probably affected it a lot too i feel like yeah the nostalgia well especially when they me, yeah. especially when they performed it on the last tour mm-hmm. which was the last and tour. that they might they would yeah, well exactly for the oh you mean the last domino yes yes the last last domino right yes although i still wish they would have performed the whole thing and i want to hear the rehearsal yeah they did, me, too. me too i felt cheated the thing is with fading lights for me i would be a little bit too impatient i'd just be like i just want to skip to the instrumental section i can't listen to <laughs> oh, but I think the, the lyrics and the music are so beautiful it I is very beautiful it. it's very beautiful for a little actually i did uh for a little while i actually knew the opening chords a bit on the yes it was pretty yeah it's actually pretty easy but yeah. yeah it sounds complicated but it's pretty easy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anyway your number four number four for me is the musical box Man, I should have put that on this list. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, to be honest, it was I was quite surprised that it fell out of me. It just was like, no, it, it is because it's mm. just got everything in there. Plus, I think it's just, to, I think it's definitely one of the best songs for a band to introduce its new members as well. Mm-hmm. And how the how what they can do, yeah, what their what their range is and ability, yeah, yeah. to show what they could change as well. And to yeah. go from something like with Trespass into that, even though the last song in the album was Knife, so it's kind of like, okay, these guys have got mm. balls. But then you listen to Musical Box, it's like, Then you Whoa. hear Musical Box and you're like, my God, what am I listening to? This is yeah. incredible. Yeah, and that is just something else. Okay, so it's not on my list that I'm not going to change my list today, <laughs> unlike you, Dad, but it's probably going to be on my list next week. Okay, <laughs> good one. That is one of my favorite songs. I just, every time I listen to it, I just want to sit back. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so number three for you. Firth of Fifth. The path is clear, though no eyes can see. The course laid down long before. And so with gods and men, the sheep remain inside their pen. 
Oh, I'll join you. That's also my number three. Oh, nice. I mean, Tony's piano playing is like, you know, Beethoven or Mozart for me. Yep. It's just like, yeah. well, actually, no, Beethoven, since Beethoven was a pianist. <laughs> but uh, it's just it's just beautiful music. Yep. And he reuses it many times throughout the song. Yep. And that's fine with me because it's so bloody beautiful. And I'm really happy that they, they kind of had that little mess around jamming those same chords with Peter playing mm-hmm. it. And they just say, oh, let's just ask around with this. But, you know, we just do something fun with it. And then they're like, this is actually really good. <laughs> let's keep doing this. And, and I bet if you ask Tony, I mean, it's the one of the solo he's had to play, you know, mm-hmm. 54 million times on pretty much every tour almost. If you asked him, are you sick of playing this? He would say, no. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I got the honor to see Steve Hackett not once but twice perform mm-hmm. this song in the flesh uh, for his solo tours. And and mm-hmm. why would you get tired of playing this? You know, there's just no reason to do so. And well, then you got to see Genesis and see Tony play it in, in the last terminal. And plus, plus Tony see it too yeah. and good old Daryl doing it. Oh, you mean the complete song thing. as opposed to just the solo, right? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, the complete song as well, yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just got, again, everything in it too. Very powerful, very strong. Very mm-hmm. nice and long too, so yeah. Nice journey of a river. Beautiful stuff. journey. Yep. I wasn't too sure if I was going to throw, when you said looking for someone, I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. But no, I'm glad I stuck with my list. So yeah, for now. Yes, yeah. for this week. All right, number number two. Number two. Dance on a volcano. Nice. I talked a bit about it earlier and why it's such a special song and yeah. it's one of those ones that just, every time I hear it, I love it. You do like the whole instrumental dance section at the end as well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. I like it, the whole thing, yeah. So I know the, the band aren't that fond of it in the end. Right? So they never. I, really I can it. remember, wait, 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 I could save this for the album, but I'll remember it this, I'll say it this time. I can remember listening to this in this particular song and our mother hearing it. <laughs> and that was actually that bit at the end when they speed up and go crazy. And she's like, you're listening to heavy metal. And I'm like, yeah, I'm listening to heavy metal. <laughs> I didn't know it was prog rock at that point, but I was like, yeah, it's heavy metal and it's so good. <laughs> oh, right. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that's a powerful one. Good choice. For me. Num- Numero dos para ti. Oh, para mi, Duchess. Ooh, That is not going to change for me. It's just beyond mm-hmm. oh. powerful. And I know it's one of Tony's favorite songs, and it's, no, it's definitely his favorite song on the album. And their performance on The Last Domino was just... Mm. And yes, to witness them playing it last mm-hmm. last year yep. here in Berlin 
uh yep. it was just something else i mean the way that the way they the emotion they put into everything it's almost like it brought you to tears each time whereas it might have done, not have done before it, it did bring me the it did bring me the tears i mean maybe because tony had said in that interview where he saw always saw genesis career like duchess yeah of you know the different stages and i can't remember which which uh, documentary it was for? Was it? I think it was for the Behind the Music. We can't dance. It must have been. I think it was Behind the Music. It might have been. Yeah, maybe it was that or whatever. So when was that? Like mid to late nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then talking about how well now we're at the end of it, and I said, No, no, I don't want you <laughs> don't... to be, keep making music. <laughs> Say it ain't true, Tony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just love. So maybe that has a, a bit of more of a punch because they were performing that song. No, yeah. End, I mean, yeah. as soon as you they hear, as soon as I done. hear that drum machine. I will just stop what I'm doing every time and just listen to it completely. And but I particularly was fond of it when they did it live last year, uh, especially that it followed the acoustic set and then that finished. And mm-hmm. I, to be honest, I, I wasn't I wasn't even intending to go and see that show because I, I just because I mean it was just tickets, tickets were insane. And plus, I was like, well, yeah. I already saw them once in 2007. And I was like, yeah, but come on, it's your favorite band. So I actually it was a very last yeah. minute decision. And it was your last chance to see them. Yeah, yeah. and I kind of knew the setlist already. But it was still amazing. Mm-hmm. And then when I heard them, because the rumors was has saying like, well, they might do misunderstanding. It's like, yeah, but they're saving for the states, surely, you know. Yeah. And well, and you heard about that, right? They did it once, I think, in Chicago, yeah. and like the world screamed, "What did you do?" Oh, really? So then, and then they, yeah, and then pretty much the next show, they took, they put it back in. Really? Wow. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um. No. As soon as that drum machine started for that, I was like, Oh my god! And then of course mm. they had to put it in a different key, much lower key for Phil. And I really, mm-hmm. really liked that key as well. It gave the song a whole new lease of life as well. So that, that was the showstopper for me, absolutely. Dreamed of a time when they sang their songs. Yeah. Everyone knew. <laughs> yeah. So, number one? Well, now it's your turn. What is yeah. number one for you? I think we've probably got the same one. Here. Shall uno. we just say t- it together? Because I think we all know what it's going to be. Numero uno es Los, los Endos. Endos. Yes. <laughs> All the way, baby. Yeah, totally. Which is kind of strange, even being it's an instrumental song. I think I think every time I hear it, especially live, every time I hear it live, my heart literally stops at some point in the song. <laughs> Just like, oh. And then the the various live versions they did with the the Vera lights and well, all that. It's just like this probably will be also another episode, which I think we do have in line there um, coming up later on down the line, but wondering like which is your favorite live version of this song if you do have one yes mm-hmm. um for me i think it is seconds out yeah
for me. Oh, you don't agree? I got a different one.、Uh, for me, and、mm. probably this is probably the my absolute favorite Genesis moment to listen to. Moment.、Mm-hmm. Moment is、mm-hmm. when that squonk reprise kicks in at Wembley Stadium on the Invisible Touch tour. They were on fire that tour. I mean, it helps that they had what is it, eighty thousand people? Yeah, about well seventy two thousand audience, seventy two thousand per night over four nights, and、yeah. that was the end of the tour as well. Their ten month tour, you know, and and again the lights and the smoke the lights, and everything. It just looks everything about it.、Yeah. As soon as I, I keep, I only listen, I just listened to it just the other day as well, just two、mm-hmm. days ago I think. And every time I stop what I'm doing, I, the volume goes way up, and tears get in my eyes. Yep, I get goosebumps all over my body. And again, this is what Genesis is so good at—the way they can have this incredible song and then bring it to absolute silence,、mm-hmm. give you a moment to catch a breath, and then bam. <laughs> and it's interesting because obviously Tony always used, I think, the Mellotron for that part back in the day as well. Whereas、mm-hmm. the Mellotron was no longer being used, he was using this very different sound, but it was still an extremely, extremely、mm-hmm. powerful sound. And in certain, certain、yeah. ways, I actually really liked that sound, almost to the point preferred it.、Um, yeah, and it's just, and you couldn't, you, I mean, the band could not not be on fire at this point because you know they got the、mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're number one, and Phil, he's number one all over the world right now as well. So he's on fire. He's loving it.、Yeah. He's happily. He's got. He's got his new wife as well. He's, he's all happily married and everything. So he's on cloud nine. He's just, last year he did、yeah. live aid. Well, I love too that、so. they could have easily done a lot of more just recent stuff and more commercial shorter songs, but they still chose to bring back a lot of the big songs and classics like yeah. Just, and、uh, and the fact、yeah. being that you know you've got this audience of like seventy one thousand whatever it was, and it's like well surely a lot of you fans are very new. And yet,、uh, and yet, when that song kicks in, it's like the entire stadium is screaming because they all know it. Whatever.、Oh, I mean, they brought it back again for 2007 too, though. You know, from yeah, 40 years on, and yeah, because they knew it's a popular song and everyone. Yeah, and、it. I was, and I was very, I was really hoping、mm-hmm. they would. Because that I didn't know the set list、yeah. for. Yeah, they did the drum duet because、mm-hmm. that's always where it followed. And I was like,、yep. please do it, please do it, please do it, my favorite song. And it's like, <laughs> yes, they did it. And then I was even more happy when、Release. the live over live in Europe, live over Europe,、mm, uh, came, live over Europe, yeah, came out. And obviously, most of that was recorded in Manchester. They used a Manchester gig for that.、Mm-hmm. And then I kept looking down. I was like, I was like, anywhere in Twickenham, which is where I saw them in London. I was like,、oh, what do you know? Los Endos <laughs> is recorded in so, Twickenham, where I was. If、at. you listen very closely to the screaming crowd at the end, you can just pick out Dan's voice. <laughs>、yeah. You've got to listen really hard, really hard. Well, I think.、Uh, were, you, were you one of the little people at the back, or were you? I was. I was kind of the the. Actually, I was the little people, but kind of in the middle between the front and the back. <laughs> yeah,、um, medium sized. To be honest, that big moment where they they literally come into their last hit. It was that one final, <laughs> you know, and then silence, and、yeah. then. I think, and that's what I love, especially with the Invisible Touch tour, that the entire screaming stadium is just going ballistic.、Um, but when I saw them on the Redoing tour, I vividly remember just that goes, and I literally just go, yeah, 
And I'm just screaming throughout <laughs> the entire silence. And I was kind of hoping I could hear myself in the mic in the microphone, but mm-hmm. no, no, I could in the recording, but I couldn't. Maybe in one of the one of the next things you can. Probably. Um, it's kind of interesting too, because obviously that's not in the studio version, and what it must have been like when they, you know, yep. first rehearsed it and chose to do that, and yeah. being like, oh my god, we just made the song even better. Yes. Than this. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, and I don't know if you've ever heard Steve Hackett's version that he does on his solo tours. Mm, I've heard a little bit that he has. Well, he has saxophone in it, doesn't he? Yeah, I think it's more of a clarinet, but which which okay. provides that really nice that. So it it provides a nice accessory to it. But the ending is quite different and uh, not as impact not as impactful. So I'm kind of curious as to why he went for that ending instead of just the, mm-hmm. the ending, which I mean, he did do with the band. It's back in definitely the day. a. Um, it feels like a love-hate relationship almost with Steve and the Genesis stuff where he left and didn't feel like he, you know, was a valid member at times and wanted mm. to do his own stuff. But also it's kept his career afloat by doing Genesis stuff. So I think he probably just wanted to be like, well, I just don't want to do the same thing. I want to do something different. Yeah. Kind of like Phil did the same thing with his big band, you know? True. True. Yeah. Okay. So now we move on to the very easy question of who's your favorite member of Genesis mm. and why? <laughs> well, I guess it's pretty obviously easy for me. For me, I know it's obviously John Mayhew, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. It was it John Silver? Uh, um, no, obviously because of the impact that it, that he's given me in my life and changing it and everything. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's good old Phil. And again, I suppose we gave we kind of gave this away in the first, in the first episode. episode. Well, just because also. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can I can relate to him so well. I mean, he's first of all he's a lefty like me. Um, mm-hmm. He's quite outgoing. He was involved. Yeah, that's really in, He was involved a lot in the theatre work as well, which I was as well. So he's drums, mm-hmm. sings, I sing too, and <laughs> just so many things behind it. And of course, yep. then when you and I, uh, we were trying to recreate the the infamous Nebworth show from 1992, then I was I would be Phil, you know. So now I wonder if you were right-handed, if you would have. Switch to playing left hand or not? Oh yeah, I wonder if I would have done that. And that's the other thing as well, because so many drummers they would be lefty, but then they would actually purposely change themselves to be right-handed to play mm-hmm. right-handed in, in a common. way. But no, to me, I'm very. I feel very proud of that. Just like I pianists who are left-handed have to cross their arms all the time. Yeah, right. right? Um, now I do have here that for some reason Tony was very close, just because I know mm. that without him there would be no Genesis. So yeah. In that perspective, I would say like he's definitely the the best member to have in the band. Well, and as we already know, he's my favorite member. Yes, I presume that's who you were going to go for. Yes. Know? So. Yep. Yeah, you, you can relate. You can relate to him very well as well. Uh, just for, I mean, just it's his music. It's his chords. It's yeah. it's um yeah, not so much his lyrics always, but it's his music. <laughs> that's what does it for me. I've got a, a few of his solo stuff albums too. Mm-hmm. Um, a Cur- curious feeling is a really wonderful album too. Just. If you really like Duke, it's almost like a considered precursor to Duke in some ways. Yeah, no, there's, that is a, a fantastic album. Which they did record in Stockholm, actually. So maybe they were. That's right. It was the <laughs> same. The same, it was the same studio, I think. Yeah. And he used he used Chester and Daryl, I think. No, mm. no, no. He didn't use Daryl. Just Chester. He did all the guitar bits himself, apparently. All right. He used Daryl later on on his Still album, ninety mm. one. But not Chester, though. He's got like Vinnie Colliuti right. on it and people like that. And I was like, damn, you know him. Good for you. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Tony all the way, just because of... Yeah, I just love his yeah, usage of The music of he writes is what I love. I think yeah. he mentions, obviously, he was so into his classical music back in the day, and I think he loved Bach, particularly because mm. of the usage that... I think it was Bach. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I got the wrong composer. 
Well, his his original favorite guy, the first piece he listened to, he said was Bolero. Ah, Bolero. Um, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Which is by what's his name? Uh, I'm blanking on now. Maurice Ravel. Okay. There you go. But again, um, I definitely the I think the Bach kind of works too, though, and I'm a Bach fan. I like I like mm, a lot of classical mm-hmm. music, and Bach is my he's my third favorite. Okay. After Rayvon Williams, Antonio Antonio Vivaldi, and uh, and Bach. Um, but uh, further fifth, and also the a part of um, Duke's End too, or Duke's Travels rather, where it goes. Um, that bit always just reminds me a bit of Bach too, so I feel like there's definitely some. Ah, okay, okay, I get that, I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got here in my notes that with we discussed our favorite albums and favorite songs, but we also wanted to go the other way by discussing our least. <laughs> to balance things out (laughs) to balance to balance it out yeah um Mm -hmm. and this was this was quite interesting as well because as i mentioned Mm -hmm. in the previous episode i'm a very biased fan here it's very hard to not hate i'd say well no you're more of an impartial fan because you don't hate anything you love everything (laughs) yeah well i do have um, You're biased in that you love everything. Yeah, but I, I actually, I actually did manage to find a song that I wasn't a big fan. You of. found one. In fact, your least in, favorite well, song. In fact, I actually wrote down three, which comes from uh, all three Genesis singers. I really wanted to make, oh, maybe, that's nice. maybe, maybe, okay. maybe because I felt bad again about not including Peter in my top three, <laughs> so I kind of wanted to make sure that right. everyone was included, including okay. good old Ray Wilson. So, mm. um. So while I'm at it, while I'm at it, then let me start with my least favorite song. Now, again, it's a bit unfair because one, it's a B-side. And two, um, they only did one album together, you see. So, Well, I think that makes it easier, though, it's a B-side because that's why it didn't make it on the album. Mm, yeah. So for me, it's Papa He Said. From okay. Yeah, I can give you that. Yeah. Because I really try. I do like parts of it, but overall, it doesn't quite. Well, work. yeah. I mean, I really love the other B sides. Banjo Man, I think, is a great tune. Great tune. I love Banjo Man. Yeah. I wish that had been on the album. And yeah. I think it could have been a fantastic single. But Papa's He Said, and I felt like Ray's vocal performance, maybe it felt like almost like it was either one or two takes. And then just felt like, let's just, mm-hmm. we'll come back to it later on, whatever. I don't know. But and lyric, and I like a lot of the other B sides too. They they do lots oh, of yeah. moving yeah. music and, and I, stuff. And I, but I, I, a lot of I really tried to yeah. get past the lyrics with that with the Papa he said. I just like I just don't mm-hmm. get it. <laughs> it's just not powerful enough, you know. Papa he says you must walk up the hill. If you don't, then no one else will. It's kind of like okay. Well, well what is it, Papa? He said you must set the lights down low or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, what? yeah, yeah. I, 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 just, yeah. So there you go. There you go. Um, Maybe he wrote. Did he write? Do you know if he wrote that one? I don't know actually. I don't know if he did. I, I'm very sorry, Ray. You know, but, <laughs> but um, um, what if he performs it live? Yeah. Oh, that's curious. So, what about you? Do you have one? Do you have two? Do you have All three? Right, so my worst, I've only got one. Okay. Oh. And I kind of talked about it in the last episode, oh. too. It's Who Done It. Who Done It. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I love that Unfortunately, song. I, I, I used to not even be able to li- listen through it. It was just too <laughs> painful for me. Now I can actually listen through it, okay? okay. And not, you know. I think just because I just sick. love the riff too much, you know. Just not yeah. the, not just the lyrics, but just goes like. I mean, it's the it's the repetitive. The we know, we know, we. Know. <laughs> the way it just keeps building. It's like you're giving me a headache, and then you're making it worse. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. 
I mean, so it, I do like how it ends. That, well, you know, if that song did not exist, then, then you would never have had Tony playing a prophet wearing a snorkel yeah. and a diving That's mask. Right. So while Mike's on the drums, I mean, I'd love to know who who came up with that idea. Whether it was Tony himself, I, mean, th- I think it's probably them just having fun and being like, "Well, I know. you know, the, the fans aren't necessarily going to like this one, so let's just like, have fun." Yeah. But the fact being, it's like a Tony doing that. If it was Phil or anyone else doing that, mm-hmm. Daryl, but the fact that Tony's doing it, I mean, that's just... I mean, that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I will go for another least favorite song then from the Peter era. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably uh-huh. going to get ridiculed, ridic- ridiculed for this, but, well, I just never got it. Um, this is going from the Lamb album. Um, the Lamia. Mm. Why? <laughs> I think just compared to the rest of the album, it just doesn't stand out as much for me. I mean, it's it, it, it very repetitive, but I think that's the the whole point of it because it's kind of like a it's almost replicating, it's almost creating like a scene in a musical, and mm-hmm. you have a verse and a chorus, and a verse and a chorus, and a scene one, scene two, yeah. and then you go back, you re, you reprise that scene, and the kind of the song is kind of doing that, which you then find out later on that everything that happens in that scene resets itself so maybe that was kind of the whole point behind it i mean i definitely feel a critique of of the land that can be made is that it's too long and should be shortened down a bit mm. which i think is true for mm. most i think just long i don't know why just, just the, the same for the wall i've always felt that way about that song i mean it's just the lyric don't get me started on the lyrics it's just beyond disturbing now it's a slipper man that he gets his penis cut off right yeah this is exactly yes yeah um yeah so this one he's having he's having sex and they're drinking his blood he's having stuff, yeah. yeah he's having sex with these three snakes and then then they drink his blood they die he takes their food and he eats them. Yeah. So yeah, to put it in, in a nutshell, you know, and then the scene resets yeah. itself and they're they're alive again, waiting yeah. for the next. But person. still, it's a six-minute song with lots of words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think just from from what else I've heard in the album, as soon as it, even from the beginning when I first heard it, it's like the piano's kind of nice, but just doesn't really like. It has that nice guitar mm-hmm. solo at the end, but then just kind of before it really mm-hmm. feels like it really takes off, it just fades out. It's kind of like okay, so I yeah. feel that's one of those songs where also more like Peter just. Just sit this one out, mate. Okay, <laughs> just let the band play their beautiful music. You take a break. True, okay? true. It might have. You can sing the next. It one. might have had a different perspective. It was just, if it was just instrumental. Yeah. yeah. So, what song of Phil's do you hate that I'm gonna have to critique? Yeah, this was a this was a tricky one. This was a tricky. One. I had two. So I know it's not who done it. So we're gonna have. We're gonna yeah, it's have not who done it. It's not who done it. It was a toss. <laughs> it was to- and sadly they're both Mike songs. Sorry, Mike. Um, mm. It was a toss up between your own special way. Oh, oh, you're an own special way one. Okay, yeah. you're one of those. Okay. I saw. I'm on a. I'm on the Genesis Discord, which has a lot of members on there. Every, I've actually, well, it's almost like every couple of months or something. So I will say, oh man, your own special way. What a crap song. Huh? <laughs> and then 50 people will be like, what are you talking about? It's beautiful. Well, and then another 50 will be like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, maybe it's because of the way it was recorded or something. It's so slow. Mm-hmm. And I really like the version that came out. Um, I think it was a B-side um, on the Invisible mm-hmm. Touch tour when they were mm-hmm. they were down under. It's very weird, but yeah, they were down under and they had the they had the quartet with them or whatever because that was the law. If you go and play in Australia, yeah. you have to use the local quartet musicians, whatever. That's right. Um, and I think Phil Crowded House did it. Phil did it. Phil did it. Yeah. I think whenever Phil introduced them, though, he was almost doing it in a piss-taking way in a way, almost as if they say like, "I don't really agree with this, but I'm going to go along with it anyway because I'm getting paid to do this." Yeah, so. 
But um, mm. so I really like that version. And I think it was just because of the, the way it's been recorded. It's very slow, has that keyboard part in the middle after a very long. Again, I feel like bits of it are a little too long, yeah. but yeah. there's too many chorus it's six, repeats it's and about, stuff like that. It's about yeah. six minutes. It's a ballad. It's about six minutes. Um, but that's also why Wind and Wuthering isn't my top album because okay. yeah, I like the song, but it's not. Quite, but then again, yeah. but then again, there's say say it's all right, Joe, which has these opening guitars. Say it's all right, Joe. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. I mean the the middle part, and even with the 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 part when it kind of picks up, um, yeah, even that's kind of like okay, I'm not too sure about it, you know. So. Um, and then it just go back to it. I mean, and don't get me started on the live version. I mean, if you got twenty minutes, I was going to say 20... I like the studio version, but the live yeah. version I have problems with when he's literally like drawing it out and yeah. pissing off the band you, like, you, when he's going to sing you, the next lyric. You need to clear about twenty minutes of your schedule for to listen to that whole yeah. thing. And Sydney, by coincidence, was the second cousin of Albert. <laughs> and every night he, he, he used to come to this bar. Where he used to have a few drinks, see? Uh, a few drinks, you know, one, two, ten. And he, he, he used to drink himself into a stupor every night. And he used to come down to this bar and listen to Joe play the piano. And, uh, My friend Joe's. So come with me to a seedy little bar somewhere in downtown London. It's about closing time, and it's all say it's all right, Joe. It's definitely it's the bathroom break song where you can get another drink, have a meal. You can have a go out, have a bite if you need to. Bite and come back, it'll still be going. Yeah. So, so yeah, and I'm very sorry to Mike Rutherford because both these songs are his. <laughs> but, I didn't know that was his. I thought that was a Phil song. No, it was his. Yeah. But, uh, Especially since I think Phil might have had a bit of a drinking problem at the time too, so it's really touching. Mm. And yeah, one of the rare times that Phil dresses up as well, which is kind of interesting, mm-hmm. and then uses Tony as Tony's piano as his bar stool, okay. as his uh, right. bar. I won't, I won't jump down your throat on those. Okay, I can kind of see that with those two. Okay, I'll <laughs> let you have them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't mean to be too both for Phil era, but I, I can't really decide between the two of them, yeah. you know. So and again, but you'll when they're when they're playing, you'll still listen to them and enjoy them, right? But it's to be honest, like, though, actually, if like, I had to uh, choose between the two of them to listen to like right now, then I probably would go for Say It's All Right, Joe. Instead of your own special way, because mm-hmm. I think say your own special way takes take, it's much quicker to get somewhere, whereas your own special way takes yeah. much longer. So okay, it's your own special way. There you go. All right, should we do least favorite album? You want to go first or shall I? Uh, I kind of spoke a lot on that, so you start. You go first. All right. I feel like I cheated oh. by picking this, but it's how I feel from Genesis to Revelation. Oh yeah. Okay. To me, it's not an album. Well, it's no, it's, it's the not work really, in progress, no. and they didn't want they were, no. they were just finding their footing. A lot of people consider it the first Genesis album. I do not, and very rarely listen to it. Okay, okay, if at all. I don't remember the last time I listened to it. It's been a long time. I quite, I quite like it. I quite like the. I very love that it's it's very sixties. You listen to that album, it's just like yeah, this yes. is this is a, this is an album, a sixties album. Which well, is quite... there are some moments on it and stuff, and I've, honestly, when I've reheard stuff and stuff on the archive i enjoyed the songs but hmm. uh, just like sitting down and listening to the whole album i don't ever do that compared uh, to the other no, ones. I, I, put it this way on my on my genesis playlist for spotify it's not on there okay <laughs> <laughs> okay i quite i quite yeah i think i could happily sit down and listen to the whole thing including the extra tracks 
Because I got like the special edition where you mm-hmm. got like the singles plus the B sides mm-hmm. from the singles. So that's me and One Eyed Hound and tunes like that, which were great, really great tunes. In fact, I feel like they should have been included on the album. Okay, well, as as probably people will be, will be screaming now into their podcast speakers, wherever they're listening to their podcast, saying, "But that's not a real Genesis album." To the point where I would say too, because originally I would just pick Genesis artist on Spotify and hit shuffle. Mm. But it would always keep playing from Genesis Revelation more often oh, than see. not. Right, I, right, like, I don't right. want to hear this. Stop it. <laughs> but if, anyway, you, if you go, if you had to choose another album, if that album say did not exist, uh, would there be another one for you? What's your next least favorite album? And then there were three. Okay, mine too. Yeah, and it's a lot of people's too. <laughs> but it's still a really good album when I hear it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just feel like obviously it was a very huge change for them which they yeah. had to go through to me and i've written down here um a little bit too many dare i say this album fillers i feel like mm-hmm. and i would say with the with the start um what is it not undertow um down and out um yeah. like i know what he was doing with the drums at the beginning there but i don't know if it was the cassette version i had or whatever it just sounded weak to me oh uh, i think that's, i beginning. think that is the production i feel like if you, go, you would have got hugh pageant or or um nick yeah, that would mm. be quite cool to hear what what Phil's drums say on a weekend dance drum kit. Drum kit would have sounded like on that. Very true, because that would have been in your face. Yeah, and I know they yeah. did it live, and poor Chester was really struggling because it's a really tough drum part. But um, they did do it live, did they? Wow! They, no, they, no, they, no, they, no, they did do it live, but not very often. Yeah. I think it got too high for mm-hmm. Phil to sing, and too hard for Chester to play. <laughs> um, but the first half of that, the first side of that album is brilliant i love boning rope i mean snowbound, burning rope is just snow, magnificent. yeah snowbound does go on a little bit i suppose so i i almost i was wondering if i should have included that too but then that's Lady again, Lies, that's, that's a, yeah. i mean again that's poor there's another mike song so sorry i can't keep yeah. doing that um but i feel like then when it started with many too many scenes from a night's dream i just felt like okay and then say snowbound Roger, is like, definitely a weak song it's next about snowman too much yeah which again is a mike song but I feel like when you got like after, I mean, Deep the Model Low is fantastic. But then after that, kind of like, mm-hmm. okay, then it gets a little bit weak for me. And then then it picks back up with, of course, Lady Lies, which is just a killer. So, yeah. So to me, it's, uh, and plus, obviously, they wanted to make a conscious decision about, well, let's not go too crazy in terms of the length of the music. And I think mm-hmm. they might have gone a little bit too overboard with that, you see. And I feel like with Many Too Many, yeah. Season of Night's Dream, uh, it just kind of a little bit too much. If... Maybe scenes from Night's Dream was taken out, and maybe had something like uh, the B side, "The Day the Lights Went Out," for example. Mm. Instead, maybe that might have changed things up. Whatever. So. That's definitely an upper album. And now we move on to our recurring segment, showing up in the second episode and all future episodes, hopefully, as long as I can come up with ideas for it. <laughs> the drum bit. Ah. <laughs> Yes, where I get to hear Dan talk about drum stuff that I never knew about before. <laughs> so this one is all about, well, last one was about Turn It On Again, the song with the weird drum signature mm. and stuff like that with it. And this one we're talking about electric drums. Welcome to the 80s. Some love them, some hate them. Some you'll like, some you won't. What's happened, you know? I will say whenever I hear the word Genesis in my head as the band, Invisible Touch starts playing in my head. That's my song. Just I don't know why. Like, I like the song. Okay, it's not that. I mean, it's not in my top five or anything, but uh-huh. that's what plays in my head. 
without fail with those electric drums. Okay, with those electric drums. So, Dan, how do electric drums work? Because we've seen Phil use electric drums during the Invisible Touch tour. Mm -hmm. And it's not like he has his drum kit set up in front, and then when he goes to play the electric drums, he just turns around and has a mirror copy of the drum kit, but in electric drum form. It all looks different. It's smaller, more compact. Well, it is. How does it work? It is. And the, the original idea with the electric mm -hmm. drum so the well let's mention the let's let's refer to the one particularly the one that phil used uses used so what phil particularly was fond of using was the the simmons the simmons electronic drum kit now this was the first viable electronic replacement for acoustic drums mm. and to be honest, I never really wondered why. I just thought because it just sounded so cool, you know, just different mm. as well. But apparently... Is that the ones he uses on... Because um, he does it on Home by the Sea too, right? He uses it on Home by the Sea. Yeah, well, that's, these particular mm -hmm. ones were developed in 81. So who knows mm -hmm. if it was developed earlier, maybe they, it might have been used on Abacab album as well. But naturally then it was used on the very... The follow-up album, the self-titled slash shapes slash mama album. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, the, um, the drum machine pattern on... Man on the Corner, mm. not at the beginning, but further on in the song, there is a bit where it goes, doom, doom. There's a clap. And that almost sounds like an electric drum. Oh, yeah. it's a clap. Is that what it is? It's okay. a clap, it yeah. A bit electric drumming, but I'm yeah. not really sure what that is, but I think it's just some taken from sort of sampling pad yeah, or whatever. I've never, To be honest, I've never really been mm. able to find out what it was or what they would do, because I know with live that you would hear that clap there too. So I'm kind of wondering like what Chester mm -hmm. does live. Like, I always try and look to see what Chester's doing, but to be honest, he's never really, he's never really lit up in that song. Phil's the only one who's really lit up in that song in a strange way. So, But yeah, but with the Simmons drums, so it was developed by uh, mm -hmm. Richard James Burgess and Dave Simmons. And so mm -hmm. manufactured by Music Aid and released in 81, their Music Aid went, went bankrupt. So then Dave Simmons set up a new manufacturing company under his own name. They needed some money aid, huh? They need some so, money aid. <laughs> so the idea with the electro electronic drum kit was developed from dealing with problems of audio spill via the microphone. So what that means is obviously you've got a drum kit on stage. I mean, yeah, you hit it. It's mm -hmm. freaking loud. So you can have the yeah. microphone, you could have the drum kit mic'd up on stage, but you also, so you're going to hear that. So say, for example, you wanted to record a concert, Drums and the drums are mm -hmm. lit, uh, are mic'd up. The guitars mic'd up. The bass is mic'd up. The, the singer singer's microphone is mic'd up, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But once that's recorded, I mean, you've got all these microphones and that drum kit. That's loud. That echoes. That reverbs. That reverberates. You can really actually you can actually hear that pretty well on a lot of bootlegs too. Yeah, like you can hear the drums and you can sort of hear the rest of the song. Yeah, so that would that is going to yeah. get that is going to get picked up in other microphones. Mm. So, I mean, with mm -hmm. guitar and keyboards, that's fine because it's plugged into its own amplifier, you know? You got the keyboard yeah. plugged into the system, you got the guitars and bass right. into its own amplifier. it's direct, yeah. Drums, it's just pure acoustic. So, hence the electronic drums, it's like now they have their own amplifier. So, that was the idea, you see. Is so, that also when you do things like um, use towels and things to muffle, like your mm -hmm. bass drum and things mm -hmm. like that too? Does that mm -hmm. help with that? That helps a little mm -hmm. bit. It helps a little bit, not but not yeah. much. You can still hear it though, so... So particularly with these these drums, Simmons, then Phil started to use it, yeah, on, on the self-titled album on Second Home by the Sea. But he did use it a lot more on that album as well. I think I think apart from Mama and perhaps, uh, what's it called, Just a Job to Do? 
as far mm. as I know, and maybe it's going to get better as well. I think he is kind of using it. So it's electric drums on just a job too. No, I think it's I think it's live because those that snare sounds pretty pretty, it does, pretty yeah. loud, yeah. But I think with the rest yeah. of it, even that's all. And oh no, home by the sea, sorry, it's, that's also a thing. Acoustic drums, yeah, by the sounds of it. So okay, so half and half is that. But of course, mm-hmm. but of course, then you get to invisible touch, and uh, I think there's perhaps maybe thirty percent live, like sorry, acoustic drums, and the rest of the album is just pure mm-hmm. electronic drums. You see. But it's not just a case of like, well, not to to prevent any um, microphone spillage. But at the same time, now you've got the the wondrous worlds here, where you've got all these different drum sounds. You see, and um, because how yeah. they, how they created this, like they are, they do all come from originally original live drum sounds, which someone played uh-huh. and got recorded into it, and then a whole bunch of just effects. Etc. We're just put on messing top around to, with it. Yeah. to surround it exactly, like a, like a keyboard almost sort of thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. messing around with it. Yeah, and stuff. totally. Like like they got the um the no son of mine what they called elephant sound, mm-hmm. you know, um and how it was originally a guitar. Yeah, something and then totally recorded it and then slowed, played around slowed with it, it down and keyboard stuff. Yeah, then you came up with this amazing yeah. sound, and so that's what yeah. they were doing with this sound. And Phil was using it on that Invisible Touch. Uh, album plus the Invisible Touch tour. Now, what is quite interesting mm. though, with and that's what you saw with these big, you know, hexagonal shapes, yep. <laughs> these black things. But what's kind of interesting though is that the pads that were used, uh, for some reason, the pads were made from this extremely hard plastic material. And apparently, mm. <laughs> I didn't know this, but it's the same plastic material that is used on. Poli- uh, police riot shields okay <laughs> just wow. to give you so a taste strong stuff. so well, so it makes sense so you're hitting it yeah uh, quick question do you use the same drumsticks on a electric drum kit i don't see why you wouldn't have to no you yeah you you would okay you, i'm just making sure mark it doesn't need special ones but now hearing this oh no 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 you so specially reinforced use the same thing yeah, yeah same sticks but you don't hit it as hard well it? that's the thing you don't have to hit it as hard and as far as i know i, I think with Nowadays, with electronic drums, they have also kind of like a, a sensitivity um, setting with it that mm-hmm. you can, if you want to hit it hard, yeah. you hit it hard. If you want to hit it soft, a soft sound will come out. Yeah. But as far as I know with the Simmons drums, yeah. it's a bit like with the harpsichord. No matter how you play it, it's just one volume. You see, it's just one volume. So wow. That sounds like a tough job to do for Phil. If you're, if you're, you've been playing literal songs on the regular drums, and then all of a sudden you switch yeah. into a lefty, you've got to remember... Mm-hmm. How to play mm. it that certain way? You're not just going to no, yeah, smack but, it as hard as you can. But the can. cool thing is, of course, because it was so hard, you can kind of create a great uh, rebound effect off them a little bit, and hence why, like, mm-hmm. if you watch Phil playing Brazilian, for example, on the touch on the Visible Touch Tour, Wembley Stadium, you just yep. see his hands just they're almost just like floating over the kit. Well, that's the thing. It's like a, almost like a weird yeah. like shadow effect thing of just like you just see moving hands and you're like you don't know what but the you, hell he's doing it sounds but fantastic. yet you hear this like this double thing yeah exactly yeah you're hearing this uh yeah. really incredible sound and and in terms of the sound wise i thought this was a, this sounds incredible it's amazing i mean you try and recreate that yeah. on a live kit uh, an acoustic kit with something like the brazilian i was about to say can you imagine doing brazilian no. with a regular kit it's like no, no it's not but the, then it's, but then again it. we never thought can you imagine phil playing at the home by the sea drum riff on a real kit turns out yes you can <laughs> yeah it sounded even even better in my ears um but the problem mm-hmm, is but the mm-hmm. problem is with because of these pads being so robust 
that drummers started to complain of wrist and elbow aches and problems, you see. Oh. So in the end, they were changed a little bit. Uh, so rubber pads were introduced in the end, and they were a little bit kind on drummers. But a lot of them felt, though, that the later revisions of, of these, they lacked the original character, you see. Because a few, a few things that spring to mind that involve electric drums are Spando Ballet's True. Yes. This is in the music video. And uh, the EastEnders theme song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> true. That's the right in there. And uh, I remember my friend who we saw the reunion tour in 2007. He was very much into his Frank Zappa. And um, mm -hmm. he was playing a Frank Zappa concert right in the middle of the 80s. And that drummer was also using the same kit. And I just mm. remember looking at him, though, because I knew at the time, I was like, man, I know that these kits hurt you. And that guy was playing like crazy. And they, he, the whole gig, One also think the whole of, gig um... was him on that kit as well. And I just thought, my wow. God, man, I, I really love to know how he was after that. Because I think Phil really did complain about problems with his wrists. I was about to say, yeah, did really, because also Phil did No Jacket Required with electric drums, too. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if he, I'm not I'm not sure if he actually used the Simmons for the No Check Required album. He used a lot mm -hmm. of these, um, the Roland, the Roland okay. pads, the Roland, like, uh, yeah, the yeah. these TR808 and TR909 things. He might have used the Simmons for the, the Jack Required album as well. I'm so for sure. the for the layout of an electric drum kit, I mean, because I know for regular drums, you normally have a low to high to low, you know, arrangement mm. with the bigger drums being the lower sound. How does it work with electric drums? Because it seems like in the, again, I'm going off the Invisible Touch Tour stuff. It's just like almost like a, a weird oval shape. Of well, yeah. Drums. I mean, to be honest, I it's mean, like you, six or eight of them. You can set up how you want to, really, because what's kind of interesting is because huh. you can really create the different sounds on it. And what's interesting with Phil huh. is that me also being the lefty. So I was really, I was really mesmerized by what he was doing on that. That particularly, again, with using the Brazilian drum riff. Creating mm -hmm. this like you can hear he's kind of like moving yeah. down the kit, and naturally, from a left handed player's yeah. perspective, you would move from the right to the left. But then right. you heard this for that little, little part where it goes that part. You yeah. actually see his right hand come back up to a <laughs> to one of the pads on the right hand side of the very top mm -hmm. and hits it there. So, I think it really just like. I kind of, I guess it's really just down it's to you. you. It's really a customizable thing that you do however you want. Yeah, I think you really do. And and, and would you have a would you have a like a snare and then the toms type of thing, or is it more just like these are all together? I'm going to arrange them how I feel like, and yeah, this is the sound I'm going to make with them. He did have the snare, and for example, the snare and the bass drum and hi hat. They were in this mm -hmm. normal position. I think he would play it like, normally like that. So okay. I think it's really with the tom stuff. I think because yeah of how fluid they could sound. Well, and that's, I think that's the only song he plays live on the electric drums, really, during that tour. So so that's the one song he needs to have it calibrated for. Well, no, he also did still did yeah. on that tour, um, Home by the Sea, as well. And, right, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And for, with the cymbals, for example, though, he was using just normal acoustic cymbals. That's what I was about to ask. So they do make they make electric drum cymbals, too, then? Well, you can you can also recreate cymbal sounds on yeah. those drums, yeah. Again, that feels very weird because it's so much about a feel when you're hitting yeah. the cymbal and how you hit it. And all well, this with stuff. the cymbal, is very different. Yeah. So I think when you do see him play like with Brazilian and also with Home of the Sea, he is actually hitting on an actual cymbal there as well. So, but what mm -hmm. I'm really what I really would love to have seen because I you hear it on the Invisible Touch album, for example, particularly with say I don't know, uh, what's it called, uh, with the Domino. That, oh no, sorry, Tonight, Tonight, Tonight. There I hear both right. 
the Simmons and his acoustic kit. He's like going from one to the other. So because I can, mm, you could really hear that's it. That's pretty cool. You could really hear his classic um, concert toms on the on that on the tonight mm-hmm. tonight tonight. But you definitely do definitely do hear the electric kit as well. You're talking about live here? Uh, no, on the album. On the studio. On okay. The studio cool. with, so again, with there's something new learning about how Phil plays it, which makes it even cooler. I would love to have been on a fly on the wall and to see the actual kit. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is how he does there it is and, some yeah. footage from from them recording that album, mm-hmm. Invisible Touch, but. And I mostly see either him on a, on his acoustic kit or on the Simmons kit. Mm-hmm. So I'll be quite intrigued to know what uh, <laughs> what that would have looked like. Right, that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, pretty cool that electric drums. And then of course, after that, it disappeared and became just one single electric drum for "I Can't Dance" and the ending of "Turn It On Again." Oh yeah. Like well, that. yeah. Again with the "I Can't Dance," the whole clapping thing again, like with "Man on the Corner." Again, I'd like to know what how that was replicated. Well, there, if you look, if you look at the We Can't Dance stuff, you can see. I mean, the, the way we walk stuff, you can actually see Chester beating something. Okay. All that electric drum sound. Okay. Yeah, he's, so he's that's how I knew about that. And um, yeah. then, of course, with for oh, actually, sorry, I was going to say he used it for Turn It On Again, uh, yep. for that ending. Do 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 do. Yep. But actually, I'm sorry, he does use it as well during the drum duet. Um, right there a little bit oh too. yeah which again made it so cool like you just keep doing all, all of a sudden yeah the tom stuff and the mm. gated drum stuff and the way it worked it's such a cool dynamic to the yeah. yeah but he had he had pretty much as far as i could remember the the entire simmons kit set up there oh okay interesting probably not with the bass drums and hi-hat kind of thing but um, right but at least the actual toms and stuff yeah yeah and i was a little bit disappointed mm. when because i was looking um back when i was looking through these um drum magazines um, I think it was like the Sabian magazine, which is a which is a symbol that Phil uses. But this was the time in '97, so Nerzi, Genesis' new drummer mm-hmm. for Colonial Stations, he was very much involved yeah. in there, and Phil was there too because obviously Dancing to the Light was still very fresh. But um, you saw in the magazine they would have a breakdown of the drummer's kit from an aerial point of view. It was almost like a blueprint mm-hmm. of the kit, and so there was yep. Phil's kit. But then you saw Nerzi's kit. And you saw like his whole kit, but then you saw what looked like the entire Simmons electronic kit all set up as well. And so that immediately told me, I was like, oh, so he must gonna, he must be doing Home by the Sea on this tour or something like that, you know. <laughs> so I was really, I thought like, my God, he's going to switch literally from a whole kit to a whole other kit. And then turns out when the tour actually came around, turns out he was just using triggers on his real kit just to make it sound oh. like electronic kit. You know, oh, so okay. he was. You heard it play because he probably just brought it from the from the farm, right? Because that's where it still is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was a bit disappointed when I when I saw his mm. kit. And I was like, well, oh, he's going to jump on this now for Home by the Sea. It's like, oh no, he's playing his he's playing his kit, but it sounds oh, he's just got little trigger pads, little things that you stick on the kit to see, and then you uh, can sample things from there. So I was mm. like, okay, fine. Well, there you go. Though I, I have now learned a lot more about electric drums that I knew ten minutes ago. Thank you. No problem. I hope everyone else was entertained uh, as much from that as you were and hope you all learned something from this too. And that, you know, with, with electronic drums, kids, you know, it ain't just about um, to sound like the 80s or whatever, but you can have a lot of fun with it too. I, besides, I own an electric drum. It's not a Simmons. It's not a Simmons because oh. mm-hmm. I don't want to break my wrists. But um, <laughs> mine are very netted and very 
they my my stick practically just dances off the the pad. You know, mm. the design is much much safer. Kids, I'm not battling on a on a police riot shield. It's almost more like you're bounce you're bouncing off of it lightly, yeah, like a pond skipper or something, yeah, or a, a frog frog leaping from lily pad to lily pad. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Um, so, do you use them live when you're performing and stuff, or is it more just to practice? On? It's just to practice on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've yeah. never actually used an electronic kit live. So. Oh mm. no, that's not true. I've Bucket used. List. I've used a sample. Oh. <laughs> I've used a percussion, a Roland percussion sampling mm. pad, for backing tracks okay. and also for a little bit of pad work. And I got to tell you, I had a lot of fun with it. So. Yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. So, so we're going to move to our final bit here to round off this. Episode that I thought might be a little short and has now become a <laughs> behemoth of an episode as it does because we always have a lot to say about Genesis. And that's, uh, we called this episode I Know What I Like. So it feels like we should talk a little bit about the song I Know What I, I, know I, what like, I like to round this off. Mm -hmm. Do you like it? Do you like the song? I, I do. I do. Well, of course, I think going around everyone's mind is like, well, which version do you like? So now, <laughs> to be honest, I was, a, I was very much I Know What I Like virgin when i actually heard the studio track for the first time because i was so mm -hmm. familiar with the live version well again going for me back to i will listen to anything with phil but that peter guy can go sort of for all <laughs> yes uh so the one i heard was from some weird bootleg tape that was from seconds out i believe i think that we got down the car boot sale but we all well, we also was. were very familiar with it from the uh the infamous nebworth show even though they didn't play the whole thing. Right. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They yeah, did do a good too. chunk of it, though. Yeah. So. But the actual song as itself. Yeah, yeah. The whole song. Anyway, about the lyrics. Mm. Um, yes. The key is, and again, thank you to the I Know What I Like podcast for ah. making this clear to me. When you hear lawnmower, man, whatever, yeah, the lawnmower, he's the lawnmower man. Break up the word lawnmower to two words, not lawnmower the machine. He's a lawnmower. <laughs> His job is to mow lawns around town and get paid for it. Okay. And while he's doing that, he sees all these things. Oh. Like kids playing. Uh, you know, I'm trying to remember some of the lyrics or something. <laughs> but, yeah, 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 yeah. Or um, being sent to the fire escape trade. And, mm. Right. Uh, you know, there's always been a thing. Jacob, wake up and you've got to tidy your room now. Yeah. He's seeing that through a window. What did you tell her uh, that? Oh, okay. You know, over the garden wall, two little lovebirds. Good to you. Okay. See? Makes make sense now? And at the same time, he's always got to keep those annoying sharp. sharp. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that's like, thanks to the I Know What I Like as a podcast. Clearing that up for me and like, oh, now I get it. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Because I, mean, I, I confused it a bit because um, I'm a big Stephen King fan and he has a short story called The Lawnmower Man. Yes. This weird robotic guy who kills people or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So that's why in my head, in my head, those two things were always conflated. And I was like, I know Peter's not really singing about that, but that's what's coming to my head. But it does make sense as well, especially when they were doing it live with Peter, that he would put this little, little, uh, Tin hat yeah, on, whatever. Hat on. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, yeah. a little bit of grass through his uh, the, teeth. The bit of wheat. And then, yeah. of course, you hear the sound from Tony's keys going. Mm -hmm. And there's Peter's looking freaking crazy. And how they, uh, how they changed the album cover. Well, they made the album cover with, you know, it was that piece of art, mm -hmm. piece of artwork. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. they asked the artist, "Can you stick a lawnmower on the front?" Yep. Done. Done. Cut and paste. That's the album cover. Um, so from. 73 to 2022. Uh, two, yeah. What's your yeah. favorite version? What's your favorite version? Oh, God. Jeez. Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> 
Really tough Not for one. Me. Not for you. No seconds out for you. Yes, because of how Chester plays that opening drum bit. Oh yeah, that's pretty groovy. It is so funky and so good, and I love it. And I love that, like you could consider it cheesy, the the Tony keyboard solo bit, but it fits the song so well and works mm. so well. I want the plus it's it such a cool effect and everything, and they never really kept that. And I wish they had. Plus, it really that they they really expanded upon that too. With all the instrumentation, mm-hmm. I mean, it was always a, it was usually an encore piece, so that's why it could end uh, up being a long, sprawling yeah. thing, and them just having fun with well, it. Then, then they would start Phil to dancing around with his tambourine. Yeah, and, and yeah. they would start to medley little pieces in there with, with the stagnation outro part. And mm-hmm. I didn't know this until years later that Pete, uh, that Steve, in the seconds out version, he's actually doing dancing with the moon and light guitar part. Oh, I, I don't think I knew that. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. I have to listen to that, yeah. He <laughs> just like three times or whatever. And then I didn't know this wow. until years later that, that Tony's doing a little bit of Visions of Angels in there too. Going out, bub, 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 bub. Yep. Just flies over your head. And of course, especially in the old medley bit where Phil just keeps singing extra lyrics from 10 different songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like we kept hearing your own special way, then it was misunderstanding. You have your own special way. Yeah, it yep. must be some kind of misunderstanding. But, um, yeah. Okay, probably my favorite version for me because. I I'm gonna get I know I'm gonna get probably um, pins. It doesn't matter, Dan, because you 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 feel what you feel. I know, so but I'll, yeah, I'll probably get pins thrown at a wall with my picture on it, whatever. But I'm not the biggest fan of the sound mix of Seconds Out, so mm. um, it just feels a bit too soft for me. So okay. I for my version, and I do like the long completed version, I guess, more though than the um than the medley version anyway, because you want to hear more of it anyway. So probably the ideal version for me then would be them on the Turn It On Again tour. Especially ah, especially when they were live in Rome. And mm. live in Rome because ah. when they play the stagnation moment, you hear that yeah. half a million crowds singing back to them people singing along that was a very that was like that was like as far as we knew at the time we're like okay well this is the last tour for these guys and here they are here they are in their country that has always treated them well from the very beginning and i was when they when they said Mm -hmm. we are going to film one of these dates i was really and i did already know that they were going to play rome as their last european day i said to myself i yeah that has to be filmed because rome was Mm -hmm. always Italy was always the ones that looked after them. I mean, them. it's where we got the earliest videos, live stuff in yeah. 72. It's in Italy, yeah. Yeah, and and I loved even more especially that they said, you know what, we're going to make it a free concert. And then half a million right. people turned up. At least that's what they thought. Well, that's they could. Free, they, yeah. the, 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 the thing is, they don't actually know. It could have been a billion. They, they, couldn't <laughs> let, they couldn't literally count every single person there. So they just said yeah. roughly it was about half a million, yeah. Yeah. And so that's definitely my favorite version. So I will say the, again, for nostalgia reasons, um, the... Live, you know, the um, way we walk version. Just seeing the the Nebworth thing, and I think they usually did it too. Just at the end, as they go into um, just before the um, last chorus, as they're doing the little bit on Mike's playing on the bass. Yes. The dunk, 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 yeah. And then him cool. and Phil lean together, forehead to forehead, and then slowly rise up as it crescendos with the last mm. chorus. And like, well, I think they do include that too with again with the the turn on again tour. They have that moment, yeah, as well. Did it? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I have sharing to, the sweat. I have to say that we're we listening back all these old bootlegs, like on the and then there were three, or was it called? Mm-hmm. What, no, it was called the Mirrors Tour. I think it was called, and the yep. Duke Tour, Abacab Tour. When 
Phil would start playing that tam because I think at that point Phil would start the song by literally him playing the tambourine going do. Yeah. As soon as I heard that, I was kind of like, oh okay, this song again. <laughs> I think I was just a bit like, okay, well I know what I'm gonna get. Mm-hmm. I know what I like. And I know what I'm gonna what, get. But you, you, but you never felt like that would turn on again. <laughs> Oh, this song again? Yeah, I think maybe just because um, Turn It On yeah. Again is a straightforward, like, in your face, yeah, yeah, yeah. gets on with it. I know what I like, obviously, this can go anywhere, to be honest. So, Yeah, so I think, I think the it's the, the Rome version, or maybe the one I went to see them with in Twickenham, you know, okay. which, I do, have the which, record- I, I, which I do have the recording of as well, because obviously they released recordings from every single date. Yep, on that tour. So I've got, uh, I've got, still got mine from Sacramento. Listened yeah, to it a few months ago. Oh yeah, yeah. I listened to mine too. So. In the car, subjected my son to it. Good, good man, and told him I was there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I think that wraps it up for us with this episode. We believe we've covered a the short thing. episode. Yeah, <laughs> a little short yes. one there. Yes, indeed. So the next one coming up then is going to be an album, a special focused album episode will be we can't dance so feel free to tune into that and all those things i wanted to say earlier about the album but i held my tongue they'll be showing up in that episode same here same here looking forward to that very yeah. much so but for now uh thanks for joining us appreciate everyone subscribing and listening yeah yeah thank you everyone for for tuning in and uh we look forward to seeing you all again mm-hmm. uh meanwhile it is goodbye from me and goodbye from virgil <laughs> Take care, everyone. We'll see you all next time. Me and Virgil chop some wood, but we stop by swinging just to listen to a cry. Thank you for listening to Me and Virgil, a Genesis Brothers podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can get new episodes as soon as they're released. Feel free to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to mention us to your Genesis friends so you can agree or disagree with what we talked about on the show. Me and Virgil, a Genesis Brothers podcast, is edited by Dan Talander and produced and hosted by Dan Talander, a.k.a. me, and Alex C. Talander, a.k.a. Virgil. If you'd like to reach us to let us know what you thought about this episode, or if you wanted to correct something we were very wrong about, you can reach us at meandvirgilpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok under the handle Me and Virgil Pod for announcements and info about the show, as well as anything else we think you'd be interested in related to all things Genesis. For now, thanks again for listening. We really appreciate it, and see you on the next episode of Me and Virgil, a Genesis Brothers podcast. Save, stop, don't delete.